welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. The time. And remember, this is widescreen podcasting. This is wide-screen wide podcasting. podcasting. I am, of course, your host, Sam Wiles. Thank you all for tuning in, and I hope you're all well, safe, and sound. Today, everyone, we're going to be taking a cheeky jaunt through one of the many side projects that I've been working on for this podcast. Yes, folks, you did indeed read that title correctly. We're going to be doing a bit of a retrospective on Macca in Your Attic. For anyone who's been living under a podcasting rock for the past year or so, Mac It In Your Attic is the new sister show to this podcast that is hosted exclusively on our YouTube page. The premise of the show is that me and a guest, sometimes someone we've had on the pod before, sometimes someone entirely new, will go through five, sometimes more, of their best, most interesting, rare, personal, sentimental items from their Paul McCartney collections. Very rarely will a guest actually have to go into their attic to get these items, uh, as you'll see, most of them will have a beetle room that they have all their stuff in at hand. But the idea actually came from A Word in Your Ear, a podcast hosted by Mark Allen and David Hepworth. And they do a little segment called A Word in Your Attic, whereby people would show off their stuff. And the moment I saw one of these episodes, I knew that it could exclusively be done with beetle stuff, because there's just so much out there to cover. I mean, with over 30 episodes and over 150 items... We have only ever had a repeat item twice, so that should be able to convey to you the scale of this project. The items that the guests themselves show me never cease to amaze. Like, we've had some insanely rare and valuable and bespoke pieces. We've had stuff that I never even knew existed, real obscure finds. Then you've got really sentimental stuff that sometimes brings a tear to an eye and sometimes make me crease with laughter because of the stories behind them. There are also items that make me laugh in terms of the fact that everyone seems to own them but me, like cardboard pop-up points of sale for McCartney albums in the 80s, or a copy of Temporary Secretary, which actually has the cover. Basically, the whole show is a, a little more personal and grounded in terms of what we discuss on the show, and it's also an exercise in me trying not to express my unending bitter jealousy for not having the things that they have. Of course, the items are not the whole show. The personalities and the conversations we have around them are also a real highlight. We talk a lot about Paul and the Beatles and the guests' histories with them both, of course, as well as memorabilia in general. And, you know, being that it's one of my podcast creations... Digressions are a common sight indeed. Though, as you'll see on today's episode, some of the stories that I am told are basically essential listening in terms of supplementary material for this podcast. Not just about merch, but about Paul and his own history in general. Also, when comparing it to Paul or Nothing, aside from the fact that the content is very different from what we discuss here on the show, it's also very different in the fact that, for the most part, it's unscripted. Like, I have my set list of questions that I use for every episode to riff off, but that's about it. I don't spend a week or two working on scripts, and I don't spend hours upon hours editing every little bit of audio. Even compared to the pod, 
the thing is a little more conversational and freewheeling, meaning it's a much more chilled out atmosphere and certainly a whole lot easier for me to put out as a content creator. So why am I doing this episode here on Paul or Nothing Proper, the main channel? Well, if any of you are assuming that this episode is being made because I get way more downloads for the podcast than I do views on YouTube, because most of you probably skip through this part of the show whenever I talk about it, well, I'm not saying you're 100% right, but you're also not 100% wrong. Look, honestly, folks, I really love Macket in Your Attic. I'm really proud of it. And some of the conversations me and my guests have on it are some of my favourite ever. You know, I really do enjoy the process of making the show. It's something different for me. It keeps me engaged and interested in all things Macca. And I thought it would just be fun to showcase some of my favourite moments from that show thus far. I guess, you know, what could be seen as maybe like the first season or so of Macca in your attic to give you all the best possible introduction to the show and maybe even inspire a few of you to go check it out on our YouTube page. I'm going to be highlighting eight episodes, but at the time of recording, there are another 22 available on YouTube for free and more on the way. Also, if you were a previous guest listening to this episode right now and your episode is not featured, do not panic. These are not necessarily the best episodes, but what I think are the best examples of the show to advertise it to new prospective listeners. And no, everyone, I wasn't so vain as to include episode 25, the episode where I am the guest on my own show. I do have some class. The other reason I wanted to do this episode was because I know that over a thousand of you out there regularly listen to this show now, and not only do I want more of you to go and check out Mac It In Your Attic, but I'd also love to have more of you folks on the show with me. I think more so than this podcast, Mac It In Your Attic is the best way that I can interact with fans of the show through the show. You know, I really love the format, and it's a lot easier, it's a lot quicker to organise and get ready... And I know that I would be able to have a lot more of you on Mac It In Your Attic than on Paul or Nothing. And hopefully after this episode, there'll be dozens of you out there looking to tell your stories and show off your stuff. That would be amazing for me. You know, you don't need to be a patron. You don't need to be listening to this show long. If you've got some cool stuff, if you've got some interesting items, at least five of them, and maybe even a couple with a cool story behind them, hit me up. Maybe you too can be a guest on a future episode of Mac It In Your Attic. Right, everyone, now that you know what Macket in Your Attic is, I think it's time we cracked on with the matter of the... Housekeeping! Starting off, and what do we have in terms of news for today? Well, of course, by the time you will have heard this, Paul McCartney will have begun his Got Back Tour, his 2022 tour, starting with his show in Spokane, wherever that is. And look, folks, if any of you are attending these shows, I am going to need you all to write up your experiences and send them into the show. I need to know what's going on here. Send us an email at paulmccartneypond at gmail.com. Anyway, the only real news we have this week is rather a sad piece. The DVD and Blu-ray release of Peter Jackson's The Beatles Get Back has been indefinitely delayed slash cancelled. I mean, Jesus Christ, Disney, what the fuck is going on here? Like, we already had a delay back in February, if you remember, and now it's been delayed again indefinitely. Come on. Several retailers in Australia and I assume other countries received a message explaining the situation and it reads as thus... We have just been informed by Disney that the below title has been delayed indefinitely due to authoring challenges. 162580 BLR The Beatles Get Back. 
Our order with Disney has been cancelled and we are instructed to reorder once a new date is set. We recommend you do the same via all your all interactive distribution login. We will endeavour to update you once we have confirmation on the new release date. So what the hell does any of that mean? Well, DVD authoring software is what allows you to combine images, text, music, animation and other features into a raw format so that it can be played on a DVD player or streaming device. So this means Disney, one of the biggest studios in history, a company that's put out millions of DVDs into the world, DVDs that have more than just video content, like they, they put out DVDs with like games on them and stuff as well. So real interactive, quite complicated DVD stuff en masse. And when it comes to The Beatles Get Back, it's suddenly started to become an issue. Seems a bit suspect, right? Like we all know Disney never wanted to release this in the first place. They really want to keep all of their products and content exclusively locked into the exclusive Disney Plus streaming service. And it is rumored that the only reason that they were thinking about releasing this in the first place on home release was not because of the fan demand and petitions and bitching in comment sections, but to simply cut out and, you know, gut the bootleggers. So a company that never wanted to give us a home release is suddenly now not giving us a home release. Shocker. I know, right? I'm also concerned that the longer that they delay it, the more the hype from the initial release will die down and therefore pressure to release it on a home format will be lowered. So I reckon they could simply be trying to wait out the fan base. Now, I could simply be being uncharitable here. Maybe that this is actually good news and actually Disney's doing what Jackson originally wanted to do and give us a bunch of new content and footage and behind the scenes stuff and footage options that we didn't get on the Disney Plus version, and it's gonna be one of the best home releases ever. And of course, I do hope that's the case, but this is exactly the same argument I made back in February, and look at where we are now. I'm sorry, everyone, being the pessimist that I am, my glass is half empty, and I ain't holding out too much hope for this one. This is what happens when artists like the Beatles and Peter Jackson work with the mouse. You know, the, the, the very definition of corporatized America and we are now suffering the consequences of it. Hopefully, none of you are too bummed out by all of this, and of course, I will update you all if and when they occur. Anyway, news is over now, let's get on with the plugs. To get in contact with the show, drop us an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. I love reading out any and all correspondence, whether it's about an episode we've just done, an episode coming up, recent stuff going on in the Beatles or McCartney world, or maybe you just wanna say hi. Starting off this week, we have a bit of quick uh, correctional correspondence based on our last episode, which is my favourite kind of response, really. One that points out my mistakes. It's just a quick one from my latest Macca in your attic guest of all people, Mr. Tim Brownrig. And he clarified something from the Rupert episode, whereby I couldn't find what song that the track C Melody would go on to inspire on McCartney's 1998 Standing Stone album. It reads... Sea Melody from Rupert the Bear wasn't called Sea Change on Standing Stone. It's called Celebration. So, Sea Melody is not either of the two songs with C in the title from Standing Stone. A, a bit of a leap, maybe, for some, but that's what I thought it was going to be, and it turns out, no, it's the final track, Celebration. Thank you very much for that, Tim. I'll be sure to give you a shout-out on the Standing Stone episode. 
whenever I get around to it. Next up, though, we have an email from Stephanie, who is referencing an episode from way back in the day, which is always a touching to you know think of people listening to your back catalogue. She says, Hi, Sam. About two months ago, I found your podcast through the Another Kind of Mind podcast, and I've been working through the episodes. I've been enjoying it a lot. I recently listened to episode number 65, where you discussed Mark Lewison's Hornsey Road lecture with Matt Phillips. I'd also listened to another podcast, can't remember which one, which had Lewison on as a guest, and Hornsey Road was the main topic of discussion. It sounds like something I would have loved to have seen for sure. Too bad Lewison isn't planning on taking it on the road here in the US. However, there is one part which I'm wondering about. You said, as Lewison also states, that the 4442 meeting, Paul says that he didn't think George had any good songs until his Abbey Road stuff. That's a pretty harsh thing for Paul to say for sure. Did Lewison also mention that John had also said something similar and that John continued to say dismissive things about George's songs and his role in the Beatles right through the 70s? I'm absolutely not excusing Paul for saying that, but if you highlighted Paul's comment but didn't say that about John being similarly dismissive about George's song, that worries me in the regards to future volumes of all these years, which will be almost certainly seen as the definitive history of the Beatles when it's complete. I'm a history teacher by profession, so providing context for primary sources is really important to me. On a separate note, I believe today is the 40th anniversary of the release of Tug of War. I'll be listening to it for sure. Related to that, for me, the Beatles have always been around. I was born in 67, and Paul was my mum's favourite Beatle, with Paperback Writer being the first song to which I knew all the words. So Paul has always been my favourite Beatle too. Which, of course, isn't to say that I'm in denial about bad or stupid things he's done. As a history teacher, I'm not into hagiography, but I do love his music. Take care, and I'm looking forward to new episodes. Stephanie. Thank you so much for that email there, Stephanie. Like I said, it's always humbling to see people interacting with the old episodes of the show. And yeah, it really is a shame that Lewis never took the show to America because it really was fucking excellent. Though I think he earned enough just from the UK leg of the tour to help fund the writing of the next part of his book series. I've just got to say, that show will always be special to me because that was the, the one that I went to in Birmingham at the Alexandra Theatre. I was actually recognised as being the host of this podcast, which was just amazing. It really was. But anyway, enough of my vanity. No, no, Lewison didn't say anything about the negative things about George's songwriting and his music, but that's likely due to the fact that Lewison never really says anything negative about John, at least proportionately to the other Beatles, and that's another story entirely. But yeah, um, it's, it's no secret that the other two main Beatles songwriters always look down on Kid George. You know, that's never been disputed. But you really do have to wonder what they were hearing when, like, George was playing stuff like While My Guitar Gently Weeps or Long, Long, Long or If I Needed Someone, Love You Too, Tax Man, I Want To Tell You, Within You, Without You. Uh, it's all too much, the inner light. Like, yeah, you know, don't bother me is a, a bit of a throwaway, but don't judge his whole songwriting career just based on his early songs where he was kind of finding himself. Like, you guys had been writing songs for years before George started, and 
it's so weird. Like, how can they not think that that stuff George was doing from like the middle phase of their career onwards up until Abbey Road was of quality? Like, they're some of my favourite songs. Within You, Without You is my favourite track from Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, so it doesn't make sense at all. Maybe a bit of ego on the part of Lennon and McCartney there. Not much of a stretch. Also, thank you for pointing out, yes, it was the 40th anniversary of Tug of War. By the time this episode goes out, it would have been a couple of days. But yeah, just to say, after listening to the album on its birthday, it got me very excited to write and record the future Listen With Sam episode where I get to talk about it again. Just got to do, you know, McCartney 2 first. So yeah, Stephanie, thank you so much for that email there. I appreciate anyone who writes into the show. It always means so much to me. I always like having this segment not just be an empty one every week. So thank you so much for that. If any of you also want to write in, drop me an email at womankindypod at gmail.com and we'll get a conversation going. Also, I got a great little message on Patreon from one of my longest-term patrons, Mr. Warren Butson, who sent me a cracking recommendation for future content, which I'm always open to, by the way, folks. He says, Hi, Sam. I don't remember you ever covering the MPL documentary Echoes, which is Macca going back to his old school before it became Lipper. It's Macca completely candid, and he does a song called Liverpool, which I'd never heard elsewhere. It may get taken down off YouTube soon, so if you haven't seen it, check it out. Which I did. And, folks, if a short 25-minute documentary in black and white of Paul McCartney going through his abandoned old school and telling stories about his old school days and reminiscing isn't something that will entice you, then maybe this is the wrong podcast for you. I've posted a link to it in the description of this video. Go and check it out. It's only 25 minutes. You know, you can watch it over dinner. It's absolutely amazing. You might hear some stories from uh, the poetry episode and that kind of thing. It does touch on a few things we've covered before, like the lyrics book as well. A lot of that should tie it all together, really. But yeah, it was absolutely fascinating. And the song in Liverpool, I believe, did go on to become a poem in Blackbird Singing. So yeah, go and check it out, folks. Very interesting. Thank you for that, Warren. Anyway, on to the rest of the plugs. Follow us on our Twitter page, which is at McCartneyPod for daily updates. For bonus Paul or Nothing written content, go and check out the blog, which is paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube by typing in Paul or Nothing or Paul McCartney Podcast. Of course, YouTube is the only place where you can check out brand new episodes of Macca in Your Attic, the namesake of this episode that we're talking about today. I haven't been able to get a new one out this week. Schedules did not allow it, but I'm recording one next Wednesday with TJ, one of the hosts from the Untitled Beatles podcast, which I'm really looking forward to. Can't wait to release that. So yeah, check out Mac It In Your Attic on YouTube also. If you want to help out the show right now in a way that takes less than 30 seconds, please consider leaving us a review on whatever platform you're listening to the show on, whether it's a like, a thumbs up, some stars, a comment, a tick, Whatever it is, if you could say something nice about the show, it would be much appreciated. And finally, if you want to help support the show directly, if you want to help keep the lights running, help keep me in stock with items to review, help me to get new guests on the show, and even fund my life a little so I can take a bit more time off work and just focus on the show, or maybe you just really appreciate all the work I put into the show and you want to buy me a coffee over the internet, then please consider becoming a Patreon patron. 
Of course, Patreon is the platform by which you, the public, can support independent content creators such as myself. But it's not a gimme. It's not just a GoFundMe. You do get your money's worth. You get two days early access to all episodes of Paul or Nothing. You get instant access to all episodes of Macca in your attic, sometimes weeks in advance. You get instant access to the Paul or Nothing video feed. So if I ever record an episode on Zoom, weeks, sometimes months ahead of me actually releasing it, you can not only listen to all the audio, but you can watch it as well. You also get access to lost and deleted episodes of Paul or Nothing, as well as um, the scripts that I use for all the episodes, that kind of thing. And finally, I'm also now doing a weekly vlog series exclusively for the Patreon. Episode 8 is now out, where I discuss the best single side of a Paul McCartney album. I think with the next one, I'm probably going to be reviewing all of my non-McCartney vinyl stuff, just, just another kind of chilled out one where we get to hang out together and talk vinyl. Of course, before we start the episode, folks, I just want to thank all of my patrons, the people who make this show possible, the people who get me out of bed every day, including Jeff H., David Stabersky, Mitzi Carter, Andy Cochran, Guy Jenkinson, Nancy Twoey, Richard Campbell, Christopher Newman, Mrs. P., Broderick Harper, Moti Ryber, Robert Shuley, Richard Driver, Chris Atkinson, Richard Binnington, Mr. B, Teresa Breda, Stephanie Miller, Katrina S, Sam Hode, Lou DiLonardo, Robert A. Carabelli, Warren Butson, Cheryl McCoy, Matt Phillips, and of course, Mr. Percy Thrillington himself. Anyway, now that all of that housekeeping is out of the way, folks, it is time to log out of Podbean or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show and head over to YouTube as we are going to explore the best of Macca in your attic. So yeah, folks, here we are. Paul or Nothing has been reduced to a glorified clip show, but at least there are clips from an adjacent program that the majority of you have likely not heard before. So it's technically still new content and technically correct is the best kind of correct. The way we're going to do this is I'm going to introduce each episode, each clip and each guest and then we're just going to jump right in. It's all very simple stuff. I'm sure you can keep up. Of course, this was all originally hosted on YouTube and Mac It in Your Attic is therefore a visual medium, meaning that most of these clips will reference stuff that you can't see, being that this is a podcast. And the only advice I can give you if you're curious is to go and check out the episodes themselves on YouTube. Starting off, and we have episode number two of Mac It in Your Attic with good friend of the show and one of the few people I've met up with in real life, Mr. Andrew Brooks. He's been a long-time supporter of the podcast and my own collection and collecting, meaning he was always going to be one of the very first guests I wanted to have on. As with all ex-MPL scruffs, he's a proper old-fashioned, classy storyteller, and I just wanted to create a space for him to be able to tell a few more of them for you right now. Let's take a listen. Now... When did you start collecting Beatles stuff? How early into your fandom did you get the bug? Right. Well, I'm I'm, I'm very old. Uh, <laughs> so when I was um, ten, so in 1976, I oh yeah, whoa, uh, <laughs> I got from the library because you could you could rent records from the library wow. um, where I lived where I lived in Walthamstow. So um, uh, I, I I got Abbey Road purely because I looked at the back cover and I thought. Octopus's Garden, you know, me, Mr. Maxwell, Silver Hammer, weird. So I got it and instantly love it. And so from then, that sort of got me hooked on the, on the Beatles. So I probably started buying records 
for my own, probably a, a year later, maybe wow. not even that. My first record was um, a Blue Album, um, just purely because it was like a greatest hit, mm-hmm. and a Sgt. Pepper, because I wasn't sure if it was the Beatles or not, because it was like Sgt. <laughs> Pepper, you know. But I was I was assured that it was the Beatles, so I went and bought it. So, uh, yeah, and then from then, well, as you can see, it's just, it's gone nuts. <laughs> McCartney would be so happy to hear that you were confused whether Sergeant Pepper was the Beatles or not. Oh, well, the concert worked, yeah, I guess, you know. Oh, that's fantastic. But uh, what was it like collecting pre-internet? Oh, man, back in the 70s, no one liked the Beatles. And even into the 80s, no one liked the Beatles. So everything was, like, really cheap. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, probably I, I, I wasn't that knowledgeable to know about my original 60s stuff mm-hmm. but yeah you know you could you could pick up singles and old singles you know high 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 yeah it was just only released a few years earlier and it'd be like 10p you know that sort of thing. just yeah my god that's little insane. things like that so yeah 70s and 80s it, it was it, the Beatles stuff was really cheap and then obviously you know John died in 80 and that sort of started the little ball rolling of things getting a little mm-hmm. bit more collect a little bit more pricey. Um, my first record I ever bought on day of release was Tug of War. Um, yeah, so yeah, that holds a special little in my heart, you know. So uh, uh, yeah, Tug of War. I can remember going and buying all those years ago and going into the record shop in Himes Park going, have you got the new Beatles single? And he, the guy looked at me and he goes, no, but we've got the new George Harrison one. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> He was rolling his eyes, wasn't he? I heard, I'd heard that the you know Paul and Ringo were on it, so I just assumed it was uh, <laughs> it would be a Beatles single. But there you go. So yeah, I like your optimism. I really do. I really do. Uh, I understand you've had to get rid of your collection at least one time or another. Yeah, about must be about ten years ago. Um, I, I decided uh, that I had a lot of stuff, and for one reason or another, I just sort of think. Right, I need to I need to streamline this a little bit. So, how I worked it out was, I want to keep all the music because it was the music that that you know then got me in the first place. So I kept all my records, um, I kept all my CDs, and I kept video DVDs. But all the magazines, the books, the posters, and a lot of stuff that I'd acquired from MPL from Apple. I wasn't a big collector of Apple stuff back then. I wish I wish I'd have kept it now because you know I let it go, um, and I'm never going to get it back. So unfortunately, I've had to draw a line under that and just accept my fate as that I'm never going to get that back. But that still doesn't stop me now collecting stuff that I'm excited about. So if I do happen to see an original Apple thing, mm-hmm. I'll go and buy it and think, oh, I wish I hadn't sold all those other things. And then and then I, I'm back in the real world. So yeah, unfortunately, about 11 years ago, I had a massive clear out. On the plus side, it paid a third off the mortgage. But there we go. That's another story. <laughs> wow. A third off. That must have been a lot of stuff there. Yeah, uh, it was. It was a fun day. So. What is the most you've ever spent on a single item? Either Macca, uh, Beatles. See, I'm, I'm a bit of a... I'm a bit of a cheapskate, so if I, I can get stuff, too. same, same, yeah. If I can get stuff cheap, why would I buy expensive? Um, no, I mean there are things that you just have to think. Well, if I don't buy it now, I'm never going to get it. 
So things like um, George Harrison's um, Songs of George, you know, the, the Genesis books, the gold leaf, leather bound. Mm-hmm. I've got, you know, one of each of those volumes. And, um, they, you know, they were, what, 200 quid each, I think, at the time, something like that. <laughs> and I've got the Ringo one as well from Genesis. And they're all signed, and that's the beauty of those, that, you know, mm-hmm. at least, you know, you're going to get a genuine signature. Um, so you've got those. I'm just looking around for inspiration. Um, now they're probably like up there with the most I've ever spent on um, on on a single item. I'm sure there must be something that I've neglected in the in a box up on the, on the shop on the top there. There are a few things I've regretted not buying that I was offered. Um, I was offered get this, you know, when the Beatles were on Morecambe and White, this, yeah. and they had like stripy blazers and the boaters. I got offered Ringo's stripy blazer for fifty quid. 50, uh, why not? Why not? At the time, I was worried, like, is it nicked? Is it stolen? Obviously, uh, it must have been because it's come from a TV studio or whatever, you know. And, yeah, uh, that was a regret. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. But, but then I've got stuff which cost me practically nothing, and, they, you know, and, and they're worth quite a lot of money. So, you know, mm. swing roundabouts and, you know, as I say, you can't regret things and, you know, and you can't. I, I don't. I try not to worry about things that I have no. I can't change. So that's now gone. I can't change it. So why worry about it? It, it comes in your mind a little bit. But you know. what's the use of worrying? What's the use of hurrying exactly? I mean, um, do you have a good example of a, a really good deal you've got on, on a, an item you caught your eye on? Well, it's going to be one of my five. So oh well, let's let's start off with that one. Please show me your okay. first item today, Andrew. <laughs> I'm just going to disappear out of shots because they're on the floor <laughs> next to me. So bear with me. Yeah. Okay, here we are. Don't know if you can see that. So it is literally mm-hmm. a white label single. And on the white label is written, and I believe it must be in Paul's handwriting because it, the, 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 when it's written, the word Paul is written in the top there. I, I'll, I'll try and see. If you. Yeah, we can see that. Yeah, yeah, it looked very much like Paul. And it says, Paul proposed single. So it's a white label test pressing of a single that never came out. And it is Love is Strange, which obviously then came oh, out on me. You've got one of the Love is Strange pressings. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and, that's... Oh, and there oh, is wow. a story, a really sad story attached to this, if you want me to, to enlighten you. Go on, go on. Okay. Um, I was obviously collecting records. You get friendly with record shop owners, and um, there was one that was a particular Beatles fan as well. And, yeah, I probably used to pop in his shop, I don't know, probably every week, every Saturday when I was, you know, in my teens, pop down and see if there's anything new. And one day he says, "Um, I've got something here. In fact, he had two things. He had um, John Lennon, Woman is the End of the World, Mm. as well as a white label test press and obviously that never came out in the UK as a single so he had both of both of these at the same time and he said the story is um one of the apple scruffs was outside apple and with a with a, a friend of hers and Paul came out saw them went back in and brought out one of them and the woman is the end of the world single one each and and, and gave them a pair each and um, the, the guy, Jeff, who unfortunately is no longer with us, he, he knew this, this, this girl hmm. and um, she died. Hmm. Um, yeah. And her mum gave all her records to the other girl that was waiting at, 
uh, you know, for, for Paul. And then a few years ago, this, this other girl decided to sell up all her, all her records, all her collection or whatever. And she sold them the whole lot to my mate, Jeff. And, um, so that's how there were two, that's how I know there are at least two copies of Love is Strange and two copies of the John one. And I know the person who has got the other two. Ah, uh, okay. Another friend of mine, Peter. And, um, yeah, and he sold them to me very, very reasonably priced. Um, I think, yeah, probably, I don't know, 100 quid for the pair. That's, so, that's good yeah. now. That, 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 that'd that be a steal now. It really oh, would. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've looked in, in record collector, you know, price guide and all that, just as a, an insurance figure for any for anything better. <laughs> um, and the, the John Lennon one, I think, is valued at like 10 grand. The Paul hasn't even got a value on it. It's listed, no value, because obviously this was never even issued as a single in the state. So oh, It's like Tutankhamun's mask. It is invaluable. It is invaluable. Yeah. And if it ever, if it ever gets destroyed, I'm never going get it, to get it replaced. And I, how do you sell an insurance company? Oh, yeah, that record's worth 10 grand. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah but Have you played what, it? Yeah, of course I have. I'll play all my records. What's <laughs> uh, the point of having records? Unless, unless I've got duplicates and I just keep one sealed. But you know, uh, yeah, of course I have. I, I initially played it to see if there's um, any difference, and there is a slight because obviously it came out on the um, Red Rose Speedway, uh, Wildlife. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, it came out on that, and obviously there there is the slight variation. But yeah, that's an original one. I mean, another example from I got from Jeff was I've got a white label test pressing of Strawberry Fields Penny Lane, and that's on a proper acetate. This is a white label test press, and this is a proper acetate. Oh wow! And I've played it once purely because it it ruins your needle if you if you keep playing it, and also mm-hmm. ruins the, the the disc as well. But I thought I've got to play it just to see if it's a different mix or if it's got the little trumpet bit at the end or whatever. And um, it didn't. It was exactly the same as the single. So I'm like, I'm never never playing that one again. <laughs> Good. Now so, I've got um, a couple of copies of McCartney three, and one was bought for me at Christmas on the proviso that I would never play it. It was my blue one. Like uh, the, the moment they left the room, it went on. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, and then find my way, cracked yeah, on, yeah. and then you know, perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so, so that's number one anyway. That's that's uh, already I'm jealous. Already I am because that is that is. You, you can't calculate how rare that is. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's insane. Um, I mean, you know, to, con- to, oops, to continue with, you know, sort of the story of, of me collecting, um, in the 80s, I was a, I was a telephone engineer. Um, that was my profession. And I used to work just around the corner from Soho Square. Yes. And, and as you know, my, my, the stories I've told you many a time, um, I figured, hang on a minute. I've got an hour at lunchtime. I could just sort of um, yeah, have a little walk around the corner and uh, <laughs> hang out. And I was the only person hanging out. And then I've been there a couple of weeks. And then one Friday, this gentleman walks past me, didn't recognise him. And he, he went in, he was just about to go into MPL. And I realised all of a sudden, hang on a minute, that's Paul. Paul. Yeah. Oh, God. Get him. Get him quick. <laughs> I'm like, Paul, 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 can you? So my second, my second item if you're oh, ready for go. it. Here we go. Oh, God. I'm not, I'm not ready, but... Okay. So this is a photo of my first ever meeting 
with the man. Oh my gosh, that is oh wow! It's it's him. It's oh my god! And there's Magic. a funny story attached to that because I got him to sign um, an ebony and ivory. You know where he's leaning against the big piano key? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I got him to sign that. Unfortunately, that has since been stolen, and I no longer have that autograph, which is a um, a real shame. But um, it was, this was on a Friday, so I mentioned to my my mate Rob, and he says, "Oh, I don't suppose you could get me an autograph." I said. Yeah, I'll try if I see him again. So, funny enough, he gave me exactly the same postcard to get signed. And a week went by, and the next Friday, I'm stood outside, and Paul was literally wearing the same coat because it was wintertime, it was December. And again, I stopped him as he was going in, and I said, Paul, could you sign this? And he looked at it, and he looked at me, and he was like having, he must have been having some sort of deja vu moment. done this before last week no and so yeah um <laughs> so yeah that was my first meeting um the 10th of december 1984 in soho square which also inspired paul to write have we been somewhere before yeah <laughs> oh. oh my gosh <laughs> however i saw moving on from that and this isn't another this is still linked to the same this binder here which is as you can see is full these are all my photos from meet, meetings of Paul. Oh, my well, not gosh. Them, Paul. There's George in there. There's Ringo. In there. So there's, like, one from Leicester Square when he was going in. This is an orgy of evidence here. This is insane. Oh yeah. God. I mean, yeah. I've got whole rather um, – 12th of – when was that? 12th of June, 86. There's another – like, you know, I, I, they're all labelled, so unfortunately you really can't see. Oh, my um, gosh. And they're all photos of you. Oh, oh my or, or at the time of me meeting, yeah. So I'll see if it's in the open. I'll show you what. Yeah, there you go. This is uh, so. This is when I saw him live in Rotterdam in at the Ahoy. So. Uh, oh, he's wearing. Oh, he's wearing the awful yellow shirt. Fantastic. Yeah, um, another one. So. So yeah. So they're all labelled. They're all dated. Um, oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. There's there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of all the times I met him and all the times I didn't meet him. Uh, I met him where I didn't have a camera. So they're, they're, you know, they're locked up here that's, now. So. And Andrew, that's a book right there. Come on. That's a book. <laughs> a, come on. Well, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to make that happen. That would be a very fun little histography. You know, maybe we'll get it incorporated into the, you know, lyric book slash autobiography that's uh, coming, <laughs> coming out soon. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of stories and I've, I've bored you with all them before. But, uh, you know, it's... That is, as you say, that is my sort of history from sort of 84, um, because I saw him just before Broad Street launched. And um, actually, I I got tickets from Liberty Store to go to the preview. If you bought something, they gave you a pair of tickets to the preview of Give My Regards to Broad Street. So I like went in there and bought, you know, something for a couple of quid and and they gave you a little envelope and there was two tickets for, for... Broad Street, and then the next day was the premiere, and I got tickets to that as well. So I, I actually saw Give My Regards to Broad Street twice in two days, and wow. once with Paul, once with Paul, uh, who made a really funny comment at the end of the premiere because he was like, uh, you know, at the end when he's uh, we found the tapes, you know, and then he shouts in the back, Oh, thank god for that. You must be able to cut the tension with a knife in that room. Uh, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. 
And so I'm uh, sure. Yeah, so, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. Yeah. I believe you. I do. I do. So um, <laughs> yeah, number two is my is my first ever meeting with Paul um, photo with all my other photos. Yeah, slash that 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 serial killer binder you have there. That is <laughs> my word. I I need to just have half an hour later where I just go through that. Oh, well, I, I tell you what, Sam. Do. When when all this COVID nonsense is is over and we meet up for real, then you can I'll let you have a look through all the pictures and and stuff. Just, yeah, and then and then I'll run off with them like the tapes, and they'll glow. And the binder will glow they'll, blue. They'll yeah. glow. Don't worry, yeah. they'll glow. <laughs> yeah. It's like a big oh, blue one. <laughs> I just sorry, dude. I just fell asleep in a train station. That's that's, <laughs> that's all it was. Next up, and we have my rival and arch nemesis, Tom Hunyadi. He's another true gent that was always going to be one of the very first people I was going to speak with on the show. However, it was not only what he could bring in terms of conversation that made me first desire his presence. No, I also knew for a fact, thanks to his Instagram page, that it was a guarantee that he was going to bring some ace items for us to talk about. One of these items is actually rather notorious on the podcast, and I've taken the piss out of him on many occasions for it. And so, how could I not include that encounter here? Roll the audio. Tom, please show me item numero uno. Numero uno, uno is, this is a, um, a piece that I was lucky to find thanks to our friend and my co-host, Kiddo Tool. Um, I'll tell you what this is. First of all, this is the Paul McCartney bubble bath. <laughs> oh, bubble bath bottle. Yes. That, now, oh, that's gorgeous. I love it. Yeah. Now, um, author Terry Crane, who did that memes book, mm-hmm. um, reached out to me wanting to know if, he'd be, if we'd be interested in having him on the show. And I was like, well, we're a very specific Paul McCartney show, <laughs> you know, so... And I was like, I really don't have anything. Fast forward another week or two later, Kittle Tools in this uh, record store called Blue Village Vinyl in Chicago or in Illinois, and she's filming different pieces. And then this boy popped popped up, and I was like, I gotta have it. And and this is in uh, the book um, that Terry Cranes um, did for you know all the memes, mm-hmm. all the products from '64 to '66, I believe. So um, the, there is a commercial on YouTube. Um, about this and they only did they only did paul and ringo they did not do john and george so apparently they did a um uh they did some kind of that's uh, what broke up the beatles that's what that's what that's That's what what separated paul and john oh right they did some kind of research and they found out that paul and ringo were the two most popular of the band here in america and they also they only did yeah no but that, that, that doesn't even make sense in terms of a collector. Like, surely right. they would want you to go out and buy all four. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. Oh, only two will do, yeah, right? I mean, did it come with any of the uh, shampoo left in it? Or, oh, no. Or, or, oh, or, no. or bubble bath? Or... <laughs> no, unfortunately, let's just uh, double check here. Yeah, yeah. nothing. <laughs> no, it's this like... sucker is that bone dry, my friend. You just like it just out out tumbles some lost lyrics for Carnival of Light or yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just yeah. gonna put them. I'm just gonna put them in in this bubble bath bottle. And yeah, put it out a to little, see. Uh, yeah, film of uh, yeah sex tape of him and Jane in here or something. <laughs> <laughs> how much? How much did that set you back? A little kind of cursory item like that. Um, I believe it was in the forty range. Really, just yeah. for a shampoo, a bubble bath bottle. 
My gosh. Yeah. The Beatles uh, prestige knows no bounds, does it? That's, no. That's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I, wonder if, I wonder if any of those Beatles wigs from the 60s have survived, like the really terrible ones. Oh, but you know, yeah. But you, you got to know they're probably all matted and stuff like that. They're probably not have no resemblance of what they originally were. <laughs> Uh, I love looking at those old Beatles merch uh, advertisements mm. and stuff. It's like, you just know everyone would have bought it because, right. I mean, just look at commercialism today, you know, any, oh, yeah. any, everything from Polly Pocket to Trolls to My Little Pony. People buy all sorts of rubbish and the Beatles put their rubbish out there and they were the biggest thing on earth. They were bigger than yeah, Jesus. But you the know? people would complain about how much it was, but they would still buy it. Uh, what what do you think about that like who how do you perceive the fans in the fan base who are seemingly devoted fans who have opinions on all of the music and every new release but throw constant shade at paul for not being a complete communist and giving all of his money away you know how, i mean listen i always say this you're in business for one reason and that's to make money yeah yes and Paul's good at it. Yes. Like, compared to John, he wants a job as well. You know, he wants a, a, right. nine, a nine to five. What a way to make a living. And he makes a very mm -hmm. good living for a lot of people. Right. So, and, you know, if, if the fan base was so against it, they would have decided with their dollar by now and See, it would have. Right. Here's the thing. Actions, actions speak louder than if you don't want this or if you don't approve of it, don't buy it to begin with. I mean, that's the, really the one way to show mm -hmm. people your, your disapproval of something. Don't buy any, any variation of the product. I think you there know? are a lot of closeted purchasers who are. Oh, absolutely. 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 You know, these are the same motherfuckers who would be at school saying, I didn't study for the test. It's like, you lie. You, you've been at home squirreling away all night. Yeah. No, I, I've only got one copy of McCartney 3 on CD. Liar. You're a liar. liar. <laughs> yeah. As I'm looking through, looking at the, the dice cardboard boxes right now. <laughs> How many McCartney 3s did you get? Did you get all of them in the end? Uh Dude, do I have to say out loud how many copies I know again? So, hang on. I, I think there were 21 available, including all CDs and the cassette. I believe it was 21. Are you, but, but are you talking about in the in the box, in the, in the, in the white box that it came with, or just so in general? In, in general, how many, how, how well, many times okay. can, can you put on a, a media and play the full album? 16. <laughs> That should just be the episode, just us going through. That could be a future episode, actually. Tom just shows right. me all of his McCartney. Because I could do that with Andy and all of his Rams. Rams, yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, Rams. that was amazing. No. When we ranked Ram and he, he did the picture of how many copies that he had, I was really blown away. By that went straight on my Twitter feed as well. I, it, it was just like, I'm just completely emasculated by this. <laughs> like, I, I've, I'm nothing, I'm nothing without, without this Ram collection. Although right. I, I think mono Ram still eludes him, which yes. I, I, yeah, found, I found upsetting actually. I thought if anyone's going to have it, it's going to be 12 copy Andy, but. <laughs> no. uh, I can't, so I can't carry on. Yeah. Uh, 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 Hopefully it's not going to be a mono McCartney three because I didn't even know they existed. I I don't think they do. No. Uh, <laughs> item two, yeah. So there's a there's a guy out there that I know. He was uh, on our friend Ethan Alexanian's show. 
uh, a few years, or maybe last year. Uh, his name is Sam Wiles, and he talked about how much uh, he was uh, looking to get... Oh, no! Oh, God! Right. I've never done this, but I'm actually going to throw my... Throw my hat on the floor. Um, look at that. So, so, for, so as soon as only ten thousand, only ten thousand of these exist. Yeah, got one of exactly. them. Exactly. Yes, exactly. So as soon as I heard that, I was like, okay, I've got to be on a mission here just to get this, just to piss my friend off. And uh, yeah, there it is. It's not your theme song. It's my, oh wow, I've never seen the rear. That's beautiful, yeah. actually. Oh, I really yeah, like that. that. Yeah, I like that too. <laughs> It's from the Waterfalls video as well, which is funny. Right. So, <laughs> so normally when you see these on eBay, they're on auction. It's an auction. Don't tell me you had to buy it now. No, 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 no. no oh. I, I don't scratch it. Go back. Yeah. When you, normally when you see these on eBay, it's yeah. usually like $100, $150, yeah, $200. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody had it on auction, okay, right, which right. was just a mistake to begin with. So... Um, <laughs> I bid, I bid 40, someone beat me and I bid 50 and then I ended up getting it for $50. 50 bucks. That yeah. is, that is ludicrous. Exactly. Yeah. I was very lucky with this. Very I mean, lucky. I mean, I mean, you would have been willing to go to a hundred for that, surely. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh man. That's a bad. And the great thing is, is that we, you know, we had the, we had the artist on Jeff Cummings on the show a few years yes, back, yeah, you know, and he was, and he gave us, you know, the rundown and the story about, uh, you know, doing the cover. So, um, you know, it was, that was a great honor to have him on the show to talk, talk to about all the illustrations he's done for McCartney. So, so yeah, this was, uh, this was Thank a fun man. purchase to get. As soon as I knew it, I was just like, Oh, this, hopefully this is going to bite his ass. And, uh, <laughs> tell, tell me you've played it as well oh i have yeah yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing too is is i'm like i don't feel the need to you know find these things and sealed copies or what and leave them sealed you know i mm -hmm. i get the stuff to play you know and that that's what really brings me bring the joy to me is really is getting this to the play not just to not just to leave you know on the shelf Mm -hmm. collect us now there is one thing that i have that i got last year that i will leave sealed, and that's the wingspan on vinyl um i don't know if you've seen that before so i'm just okay. like okay i already i already got everything I, there's no per, there's no really no need to play you know wingspan on vinyl because i've got it all already so that i, I will leave i will leave sealed. you've got a wingspan that's yeah oh my gosh i'll show you that later <laughs> In third place, we have a segment from episode eight with Mean Mr. Mayo himself, a.k.a. Joe Mayo. Now, I'm yet to speak with and have Joe Mayo on the show in an official capacity, and it was certainly a joy to have him on Macca in Your Attic as a second-place prize for both of us, I guess. I had to include this clip, though, not only because it's a fab conversation, but also it was the plugging he did on his end with his show and his large YouTube audience that meant... Macket in Your Attic was really able to get off the ground in terms of viewership, and I owe him a lot for that. So, shout out to Mr. Mayo, and let's hear the clip. So, tell me, what were some of the highlights or tribulations of collecting in the pre-internet world? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, I'm looking at a poster here that you can't see. One of the oldest things I still have from then. It's an, a 1964, I think... Uh, 
they call it a life-size Beatles poster. Maybe you've seen it. It's an orange background, and the four Beatles are standing there, not quite life-size, but you know, pretty large. And they're great collarless suits, kind of like resting their hands on each other's shoulders. And uh, like in those days, I would go to flea markets, which I, I still do, but uh, record stores, you just had to get lucky if you saw something, right? There it was. You picked it up. Uh, you didn't have, obviously, the internet. You didn't have the ability to just scroll and say, oh, I want that. Okay, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'll buy it now. Like that or bid, right? But of course, a lot of older people might tell you that in some weird ways, that was a lot more fun in a way. It's always, even today, it's more fun. You just happen to be somewhere and you see something and, you're like, oh, and you buy it on the spot. It's always a little more exciting as a collector, I think, than, you know, searching on on eBay or something mm-hmm. and typing it in and there you go. So, it was, it was, but you know, it wasn't as easy to find the things you wanted. If there was a certain record, for example, that you're looking for, you'd have to hope you see it in a shop or a garage sale or something. Uh, these days, you just go on Discogs, I suppose. Or mm. I did that for a couple. I don't spend a lot of time on Discogs, but I did do that for a couple of items that I used to have in the aforementioned earlier Beatles collection. No. That doesn't exist anymore. That I wanted to fill in a few holes, specifics, and you just got them like that. The idea that there would, could be a world where there's not a Wikipedia article telling me a, an, an artist's entire discography—that hmm. that is that is a terrifying prospect. I must admit, just yeah. not knowing what to get. Like, how how do you know if you've completed it or not? You know. Yeah, I guess you had to just follow the books. That's where books like uh, All Together Now, mm-hmm. which was the first uh, book that I recall, I think, having around 75, mm-hmm. uh, you know, by Wally Pedrazic and Castleman. I believe that was, uh, you know, oh, still valuable to for, for information. In fact, mm-hmm. today, to tell you the truth, even with all the ease we have of the Internet, if I really have to look something up, and I need a chronolo- chronology or something in mm. order of release. I usually go on the shelf and get the book. I don't know why. Yes. <laughs> so it's still I still use it. That that one particular book. No, you have to. I mean, any anyone that's done any type of modern schooling knows how teachers will just drill into your brain that Wikipedia doesn't count, internet sources don't count. You've got to read the books, and I guess that's why with Paul or Nothing, I've basically treated every episode like a, a university essay where I've got a little bibliography at the bottom and a little objective up at the top. Um, that's just the way I kind of like to do things. Um, what's your what's your local record store scene like? I mean, do you do, do you have many good shops available? Um, well, yeah, I, I guess I'm blessed in a way, and I take for granted because I have about five shops that are in fairly close distance, more or less. That I mean, like drivable distance. That mm-hmm. not I'm drivable. I mean, you can drive two hours, right? That's drivable. But I mean, say uh, under an hour, you know, wow. uh, something like that. Some of them, some of them, a half hour. And anyway, uh, and I'm very lucky because my main store has a lot of uh, stuff coming in now and then uh, that I, I, I need to add to my collection. Although over the years, the more you get, the less you need, I suppose. So you never completely finish collecting Beatles stuff. Uh, there's always everybody's got a different collection. You could have 10 collectors and everybody's got stuff that other people don't have, and vice, you know, vice versa. Right? But uh, yeah, the, the thing the thing is you go around and you you look and you try to f- see what you can you find and and i feel sorry when i do that in a way because i take it for granted because there's so many 
people who live maybe in the sticks, I call it, or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, or oh, I, I, I don't have a record store for, around me or three hours away and whatever they have, they have. I, I take for granted all the things that come in. A lot of people looking for certain Beatles picture sleeves, 45s, they can't find them. And I see them all the time, you know, for example, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, like whenever I go to a record store here in the UK, there is a temptation to go like, oh, another copy of uh, The Spies Like Us, uh, um, <laughs> seven inch or something like that, like or um, the 12 inch even, or, you know, oh, yeah. an- a- another copy of Get Back or Hey Jude. Why isn't there a picture disc of Good Night Tonight here or something? But the fact that I've got, weirdly, in the last two years, three years, three new record stores have actually opened up within probably about an hour for me as well. There is one uh, Swordfish Records here in Birmingham, which has been here since the 60s. And every time, every time I go in, there are brand new Beatles singles. I don't know where he gets them from. I don't know how he dredges them up, but I'll always leave with something new. And you're right. The, the knowledge of knowing exactly what you're going to buy online is very handy if you are a completionist. But if you're having fun with collecting, just going into the shop and, just doing that for half an hour. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they've got that. That's fun. Then you make a little right. pile and then you decide what you can actually afford. It's a fantastic mm. process. I, I really do enjoy it. Um, are there any items that have eluded your grasp? Anything slipped through your fingers? Um, well, a couple of things that I, I, I think I one – one of them that comes to mind, I forget the exact title of it, but it's from 64 and it's by – George Harrison's sister Louise, and it was an early album uh, about I don't know uh, I don't remember the, the, the name of it, but it's by Louise Harrison or Caldwell I think her name. And uh, I, a copy came in that was kind of I mean mint. It was sealed. It was never opened, and I just didn't have the cash at the time to get it, so somebody bought it. That annoys me. Uh, uh, and then there was another one, uh, the Beatles. Uh, with Frank Ifield on stage, there are a couple of those, but uh, different looks to it. Mm-hmm. The one I'm talking about is called the portrait cover. It has uh, the gray suits and okay. the, it's been heavily counterfeited. It's on VJ records. And uh, if you get that one, that's not a counterfeit in really nice condition. It, it, I don't think I would have the money for that. I mean, really, even though, I, even though I can buy a George Harrison, all things must pass Uber, box set putting it on on time uh this uh, some of the prices of these portrait covers mm. in the gray suits originals are pretty hef- hefty priced but those are those are two that I've, I've wanted still want for a long time ever been tempted to uh, pick up a butcher cover that's the that, that, that that's the kind of generic holy grail of beatles collection, yeah I well i did have one at one time the thing is i've gotten to the point where i like them when they're still pasted over. First of all, they're becoming more rare to be pasted over because uh, everybody seems to peel them. So mm-hmm. finding them with, with the paste over is more unusual. And I had one, but eventually I sold it uh, only because it, it wasn't really in great shape to begin with. Mm-hmm. And I know I'll get a better one down the line. But what I like about the paste over one is the fact that you look at the white area on the side and you can see Ringo's black uh, I guess you call it a V mm-hmm. part of his shirt under the smock. And you could see his hair. He's got that little Dutch boy haircut. I call it a lampshade haircut around that period. <laughs> like, And uh, there's something thrilling about it to me, 
to look at it. Go, there it is. It's buried treasure. It's under there. I look at it. I can see it. I like that a lot more than just peeling it. I think in the old days, when old days are like the 70s, to have one peeled would be really amazing because you didn't see them that often. But mm-hmm. now uh, it's a common sight, really. And I meaning you can see them like in the, the U.S. Rarities album has a gatefold with it. You can buy, again, uh, bootleg copies of it that look like the real thing and frame it. I have one in a frame somewhere of a, you know, a fake one, but it looks good. So I have it framed. So, see, you know, having it just for the novelty of being able to actually see it in all its glory, that doesn't apply anymore to me. You know, it's not just a matter of that anymore. I'd rather have it pasted over. Fair enough. You've sold it. You've sold me. I want to. I, oh. <laughs> I, I want a paste over one now. And uh, I mean, if they're I, cheaper paste over. I think are usually cheaper. I could. I think. I, I don't know. So. Depends who's selling it. I guess you could charge <laughs> anything you want. That's funny. What do you think about? Uh, so, what do you think about the modern McCartney, Beatles, Harrison, Lennon product line that we've got going at the moment? Are you feeling the pressure? Are you feeling the pinch, or are you saying bring it on? Let's have more out. Well, I keep telling people, you know, I, you know, I'm not wealthy. <laughs> this is a tiny room. Uh, you, you don't have a big place here. We rent a small place, and hopefully someday I'm going to be uh, getting not buying a house, but renting a house. It'll be bigger. Mm-hmm. I can fit stuff in it more. But as far as the, the product goes, yeah, I say bring it on. But uh, I like it to be spaced yeah. a little bit so we have time. You know, uh, now I'm still working. Uh, you know, I'm a working man, and. Uh, a year from now, I hope I'm going to not be working anymore. Now, if I don't work anymore, I'm going to be on a very low v- fixed income, and I'm not going to have as much. That 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 remains to be seen. But as far as the, the actual quality of the stuff, I, I well, starting with, I love what the John Lennon camp is doing. I think, you know, uh, Paul Hicks is doing some amazing work on the mixing uh, he's doing. Uh, you know, of the John stuff. And I think it's always pretty good value for the dollar for for the John stuff. And uh, I think that uh, George's stuff is is really slow in coming out the new stuff. But now we're recording this at a time where you're going to have the all things must pass 50th. Finally, we're we're still, (laughs) right. We're still waiting for a thousand dollars, a thousand. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I, I'm getting it for under that, but uh, even that's going to be a little at a time, you know. Uh, so, so, but so they're coming around a little bit. As far as Paul and Ringo, well, let's just start with Ringo. I just I love Ringo stuff. I mean, I'm a Ringo fan, and I just think he's since he got himself sober like over 30 years ago, he really dedicates himself mm-hmm. to the music, and he's more focused. I really like what he's been doing in recent years. And Paul, is, I think. Uh, I just love his stuff. I think McCartney three is a, a very good album. I don't know yeah. what, what you think of it. I really enjoy it. Um, I, I just am very impressed. And I think he's come into his voice, his modern voice. He's writing more, writing more for his voice. Um, and of course, <laughs> talk about product, right? Well, we know how much product Paul has, uh, Paul's camp has put out. How many copies? I got them up there, right? Uh, somewhere over here. Oh. These boxes of this. I got like about several of those. They display nice. They look nice. The three dot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know colored vinyl. I, I bought a bunch of those. But yeah, I think he's been doing great uh, artistically. 
I've loved his his product or the music from like I'd say since even dri- uh, not Driving Rain. Oops, scratch that. I'm not a Driving Rain fan, if you didn't know. But that's the only album that I think. <laughs> but from Flaming Pie up, yeah, I've I, pretty much I've been pretty impressed with everything. I think that for me personally, you know, individually, uh, Driving Rain I think is my least favorite Paul album. But other than that, I mean, I'm just very happy with what the man is still doing, and he doesn't stop. And that's just incredible. Thank God we, we still have Paul to do that. Oh, no, he's really carrying the kind of collecting torch. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, some people find it kind of controversial, all these additions he's putting out. But I've said, I've said before on this show, if you don't want to buy it, don't buy it, because there is 20 other people who probably wanted to buy it who couldn't buy it. And right, right. it's only once we run out of those people will McCartney's that camp actually start considering not releasing this stuff. Uh, I mean, yeah. more power to him. Like, there seems to be an awful kind of communist uh, idea that, like, McCartney's earned enough money, now he should redistribute all, all of his wealth to other lesser musicians. And it's like, no, he, if, if he wants to put out the Violet edition of McCartney 3 and people want to buy it, that's that's uh, capitalism, baby. More power to him. You know. I, I agree with you. You know, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. You know, I got, I'm trying to be fair. I try to see things from both sides, usually. Mm-hmm. And I, in a way, I do say, oh, this is ridiculous. It's too extreme. It's out of control. I do I do think that. But, uh, but again, I'll, nobody's I'll, forcing... I'll have eight copies, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and nobody, of course, nobody's forcing you to buy them any of them or let alone all of them. And of course we know that the idea is that we're going to have diehards out there like myself that have to have everything. But then again, I want to be clear. I always tell everybody, I don't literally have everything. First of all, you in some cases you can't find everything, can't afford everything. And uh, there are some things I just choose to pass up. I chose to pass up for example, the uh, suitcase version <laughs> of Egypt station trinkets. I passed that up. Good lad, you know, good lad. So, um, <laughs> so if I ever saw it for 200 versus 400, plus, whatever it was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I passed it up. Uh, so, I, yeah, I like to have this stuff that coming out, and I think it's amazing how much fun there still can be. And, mm-hmm. and for, for younger fans, too, new generations, even younger than, younger than both of us, I mean, there are, there are youngsters that are really having a good time and enjoying collecting Paul stuff and Ringo and whatever they can get of John and George. I wonder if there's ever going to be a period in the modern vinyl revival where we're going to have re, uh, reprints of singles. That's that's something that has mm. never been discussed. Oh, McCartney's like re-releasing, uh, you know, Venus and Mars. You gave me the answer. Buy it mm. now. And it's going to come in, in 17 different editions. Uh well, if they do, I would I would rather it come out with a you know a new kind of release with a new photo, because I have a, a thing. I'm not really wild about strict reissues. An example I'll give is just say the United States Beatles Capitol mm-hmm. 45 sleeves. People say, or even the albums. Why don't they come out with a brand new set of all the, the you know mint mint new brand new repressings of the Capitol albums in the U.S. and also the 45s and i said well it kind of takes a little away from the originals i think I, that's just how i feel uh i felt the same way even when they put out the wonderful uh, beatles and mono uk lp set it was beautiful and the sound was great uh they did a great job and i just it's just a little anal thing about me you know mm-hmm. i'm like people look at say they're holding a copy of 
uh, please please me and they're saying look at this it's the gold la- the gold polyphone label it's it, it mint you can't get this it's beautiful you'll never see this it's the only way to get it mint yeah but it's not the real thing <laughs> it's a facsimile it's nice but it's a facsimile that's just me you know <laughs> you know what no matter how nerdy you think you are as a beetle fan there's always someone out there who is even nerdier than you are <laughs> Ner- nerdier <laughs> person uh, yes that's, yes that's very funny no, um, it's funny how um, there's been an increase in the price of a lot of this modern Beatles stuff, obviously culminating in the George Harrison set, uh, nearly $1,000 minus one cent. And I feel like they are pushing the boat out. They're like, let's let's see how far we can push this. Let's see if if we can release Ringo's Roto Gravure for seven thousand dollars. Oh well, I don't know. I love Ringo personally, but I, I don't, don't think he's there as well. You see, this thing, at least with the George Harrison release, this Uber set with the box and everything. At least it's all things must pass. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Gontrapo had the same treatment if, if I would uh, do it. I don't know. Um, it's got circles, but, you know. <laughs> well, that's my least favorite. One of my least favorite tracks on it. I, I know it's terrible to say that sacrilege, but uh, no, no, it's definitely part of that. Hey, do it when George Harrison forgot he was the lead guitarist and he was trying to do keys for like a whole year. It's definitely that phase. Uh, I'm not but the, the Harrison estate, I think, from what I can see, seems to be the most over the top with prices. I think, from what I've what I've seen, and that includes uh, there was the George Harrison uh, box of LPs. Mm-hmm. Again, we're talking about reissues. Uh, and what I like best of, I didn't get that either. That's something else I chose to pass up. It was pretty expensive, and also. I, I really like the box is what I like. I don't know if you saw it. The, the actual Harrison box that the LPs come in is what I liked about it best. Uh, the other ones I got, the, you know, again, I, I'd rather have the albums themselves, the records, on the original presses. A nice, really nice, crisp copy, best I can find it. That's just that's my thing. And it's not that I don't ever buy reissues. Mm-hmm. Lord knows I have reissues back there. I certainly do. But uh, a lot of times I'll pass them up. Then we come to my discussion with Dan Ely, who may be best known as the man who hung out with Paul and Wings at Junior's Farm in the summer of 74 in Nashville, Tennessee. Basically, I thought it was going to be a regular episode of Mack It In Your Attic, but instead he told his entire, frankly, amazing story through the items that he brought to talk about. I couldn't include the whole story here, as it would essentially be me posting the entire hour and a half episode, which I was kind of tempted to do, but... I'm sure you'll be hooked enough with this one. Let's roll the tape. And uh, my friends were all into the Beatles. And I was working and playing in a band in 1974 in June, early June, when I picked up the newspaper and it said, Paul McCartney rumored to visit Music Row in Nashville. So I said, if Paul is coming to Nashville, which is an hour from me. There's no way that's going to happen without me meeting. Well, I subscribed to Melody Maker Magazine Mm -hmm. from England, which I loved because it was more music. Now, to subscribe to that in 1974, it was kind of pricey to wait on the post for your magazine to show up from the UK. But 
I had mine, and the next day I pick up the paper, and Paul is getting off the airplane on the tarmac at the Nashville airport. And you're starting the car at this point. You're putting your shoes on, yeah. Well, I pick <laughs> up my melody maker, and I look down the side of it, and I see the name Chris Charlesworth, U.S. editor. And there's a phone number in New York. And I said, Paul is bound to have, to myself, Paul is bound to have a press conference, something. I could represent myself as a reporter. So let me call up this editor and tell him I'm a reporter. Paul will recognize Melody Maker Magazine and I'll be in. So I dial the number. Chris Charlesworth answers. Chris, this is Dan Ely. I'm a stringer reporter in Tennessee, and I'd like to cover Paul McCartney and Wing's visit to Nashville for Melody Maker magazine. Well, do you have a uh, any experience? Of course. Of course I have experience. But I'm going to need a letter from you. The only real experience I had was I wrote for my high school newspaper and every article no matter what the subject was had a reference to the Beatles, the Beatles. yeah 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 yeah, I yeah, yeah. Sure <laughs> that it was buried in the article in every article I did there was something buried about the Beatles so he says well I can get you a letter yes what's your address and he agrees to send me this letter which arrived a few Days. Oh, dear Mr. Ely, following your telephone conversation yesterday, this letter to confirm you may represent the maker at the press party of Paul McCartney, Nashville area. Oh my God! Oh, you, you, so you, now, you, smooth talking, silver tongue devil, you! Oh my gosh! So now I have my letter, <laughs> but the problem is. Where Paul and Wings is staying and outside of Nashville is top secret. It's top secret. It's not in the papers. It's not on the news. There's no reference to it. Mm. So I start calling around any place I can in Nashville music circles mm. to ask them. And I was getting tidbits of information. It's in Lebanon, Tennessee. It's a farm. It's a doctor's house. It's a mansion. They have a pool, and someone said it's on Franklin Road. Okay, so I work every day till 2 p.m., so I wait till my next Sunday for the day off, and I grab my Rickenbacker base, I throw it in the car, I get my envelope with Chris Charlesworth's letter, and I drive down the interstate 60 miles, and I get off. It's Sunday morning. It's about 10.30, and I'm on the rural back roads in Tennessee of Wilson County looking for Paul McCartney and Winks. And as I drive in my Torino, Ford Torino station wagon, I see nothing that looks like what I think in my mind. I should see a mansion mm. on the side of the road. I see regular bungalow-style houses, and there's no one else on the road because it's rural Wilson County. 
on a Sunday morning. So now I, I just say, well, I'm going to have to turn around and go home. So I turn around and I start back and I thought, I'm going to ask someone. But wait, there's no one to ask. And I looked up and there was a farmer walking along the road in his overalls. And I thought, okay, pull over, ask him, <laughs> but don't mention the name Beatles. So I eased up, I reached over to my passenger side window and I eased it down and he sort of looked in the car and I said, sir, can you tell me where there's a mansion on Franklin Road with a doctor's house and a pool? And he immediately said, there's not one. There's not one. I thought, how does he know that so quick? I said, are you sure? It's a large house with a pool, a mansion, a doctor's house. He said, there's not one on Franklin Road. So I paused and I, I, I knew I was going to have to say it. And so I said, sir, one of the Beatles is staying there. He looked at me, said, you mean those fellers from England? <laughs> it's like a scene said, from a movie. Oh, my God. I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, they're from England. He goes, well, they're staying up at Junior Putman's place, but they don't have a swimming pool. I said, okay, where is it? He goes, well, it's just right up the road here, on up the road around the curb. I said, okay, where now? Uh, tell me again, because I didn't want to. I didn't want to miss it. He told me, so I turned around. Now, without this man appearing there. I would have come back home and the following story that I'm going to tell you would have never occurred. So I turn around. I'm feeling so I'm tense right now. My, my <laughs> chest is, my chest is pounding right now. And it's funny that you should because um, when I went to see Paul McCartney at the O2, I, I nearly had to leave for some reason, a very embarrassing reason, but uh, a janitor pointed me to a customer service desk and there were some spare seats that were more accommodating for me. And I got to see McCartney live. So it's uh, the, the odds of this happening are astronomical. Yes. Oh, please, don't so let me, don't let me around, interrupt you. Oh, my gosh. I turn around, and I'm driving back on the road, and I'm looking, and suddenly, as I come around a curve, it opens up to the left, and I see this huge mansion a 1,000 yards up on the hill with a formal entrance, and then I knew this is it. My plan was to drive past it. There was a small house next to it, and I was going to pull in the driveway and pull out and come back and take a second look and get my plan together. But when I pulled in the driveway of the house next door, I see Denny Lane and Jenny McCoy <laughs> standing out under a shade tree drinking a beer. Oh. Jimmy sitting on the ground, Denny standing up, and I pull in, and I reach for my letter beside me, and I exit the car. When I get out of the car, I introduce myself. I'm Dan Ely from Melody Maker Magazine. Chris Charlesworth sent me. And I really didn't get much of a response. And so I'm looking at him, <laughs> and they're sort of looking at me, 
And I say to Jimmy, you know who Chris Charlesworth is, don't you? And Jimmy says, yeah, I know who Chris Charlesworth is. And so I said, hey, I got a guitar in the car. Would you like to see this guitar? And they said, yeah, get it out. <laughs> so I get the guitar out. Oh. Okay. Here we go. Uh, and there you. is me with Denny Lane with my Rickenbacker bass. And Denny's dancing around with it. And he says, Paul would love this. And in two minutes, I said, okay, give it to him. And I leave my base, my hard-earned, newly purchased from Manny's Music Shop in New York, the Rickenbacker bass guitar. Oh, my gosh. Now, so here you see me as I looked in 74 before I went to the farm playing in my band with my Paul McCartney overalls on. I was going to say, yeah, it's, 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 oh, it's perfect. And yeah. my band on the run button. <laughs> oh my and, gosh. And here you see Alan Crowder from MPL with Denny eyeballing the Rickenbacker that I just handed over oh to be given to Paul. So now, Things are looking better for me. I'm bribing my way in by giving Paul my Rickenbacker bass, as suggested by Denny Lane. You're a master tactician. You're a master tactician here. So They're now, in the palm of your hand. What the flip? Now oh my. I start going down every day. It's oh. about, there should be about 45 minutes from my work, but I break all the speed laws possible. <laughs> and I'm arriving in record time every day. 227, and yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm bringing shirts, gifts for the kids. The car's loaded up with all kinds of liquor for the band. I'm uh, showering them daily with gifts. I have my box of McCartney and Wings LPs. I have magazines. And they're sitting at the table one day, at the breakfast table, and I said to them, uh, hey, uh, Denny, why did you shave your beard when you were in Nigeria? And Jimmy turns and looks at me and he says, he knows more about us than we do. And they all burst out laughing because uh, oh. of Jimmy's, Jimmy's uh, comment. And every day then, uh, I show up, they'd be up, I'd hear them rehearsing in the garage, and I'm hearing what Adrian Allen described to me in uh, his book, uh, McCartney Appreciation. He says to me, you were the first guy to hear Wings in America Live. I said, uh, what? He said, yeah, I think you were the first fan in America to hear Wings perform live. And I was just thinking about it for a second. And I thought, yeah, they toured, they did the universities in the UK. Mm -hmm. They played a few gigs. Then they showed up in Nashville. 
and they hadn't been to America before. And I'm outside the garage and they're rehearsing. My love, Jet, Band on the Run, Little Woman Love, Hi, 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 Band on the Run. Mm-hmm. And I said, I guess I was. I never thought about it. Jesus. Oh, my. Every I, day. I, I'm rarely ever this speechless. I'm normally quite obnoxious and interruptive, <laughs> but I, like, you know, the cojones on display here, it, and then and then the follow-up gifts as well, like oh, that's uh well so so he figured that out in all these years, 40 years, that thought had never occurred to me. But he figured that out. So so credit to Adrian uh, Allen for that. But so every day I'm going down and I'm hanging out with the band. I see Paul riding up and down the driveway on a motorbike and he's over swimming in the pond. And um, one day I show up and uh, Jimmy says, hey, uh, it'll be better if you don't come down tomorrow. I said, okay. I said, uh, what's going on? He said, it'll just be better if you're not here. I said, okay. So the next day I did not make my trip down to visit them. And we had a huge electrical storm in Tennessee. Lots of lightning, power out, torrential rain. Mm. So the following day now, I'd observed their uh, their request not to come down. So the following day, I get up, I go to work, I get off, and I head down. And when I get there, to the there's the gate entrance at the front, and right beside it was where the band stayed most of the time when I was there, which they refer to as the gatehouse. And then Paul and Linda in the rehearsal was a thousand yards up the hill at the mansion. So on the next day I arrive, I see them bringing in champagne and ice. This is very unusual activity. So I'm just observing. And I look out the window of the guest house. I call it the guest house. Mm. And I had my binoculars and I looked down toward the little picnic pavilion about 400 yards away by the pond, and I see Paul, and he's wearing the shirt I gave him. So I'm hollering, he's wearing my shirt. He's wearing my shirt. That's what I'm yelling out to the to the other members of Wings and back behind me. Paul's got my shirt on. Paul's got my shirt on. So Jimmy comes up to me and says, look, <laughs> apparently this party that is now fixing to happen for Paul's birthday on June 18th, of 74 was supposed to happen the night before. And I was not supposed to be there because mm-hmm. they had asked me not to come. Mm-hmm. So I show up the next day and the party's on. Well, Jimmy mm-hmm. says, hey, uh, we're having a little get together. Paul is wanting us, us to work the gate, but we don't want to. We want to go to the party, but you could do it. He said, uh, you know, you could work the gate. I said, okay, let's work the gate me. He goes, well, you know, you go out to the gate and you'll let people in that should be in and you'll keep everyone else out. I said, well, how will I know? He said, look, you'll know. It's going to be Chad Atkins, Jerry Reed, and Roy Orbison. And if you'll do this, when we're through, we'll take you down to meet Paul. I said, okay. So it's very hot out. It's about, I would say, four 
four, four-ish in the afternoon, and I make my way to the gate, and they're down at the little picnic pavilion. I can see the activity about 400 feet away. It's not very far. And here comes a black Porsche, and it pulls into the entrance, and I look into the car, and it's Roy Orbison. And I look close, and he has leather on. He has black <laughs> leather jacket, black t-shirt, black leather trousers, big black sunglasses, and his hair is jet black but combed down. And I'm thinking, it's 100 degrees. <laughs> and as I waved him through, I thought, you know, it's more important to look cool mm -hmm. than to be cool. So he pulls through. Now, I'm watching the activity from the gate, and I've figured out in my mind that one of the guys, Jeff Ritten, Jimmy McCullough, or Denny, is going to come from the little pavilion and get me at some point. And I'm just waiting. I'm watching. And suddenly, I see someone walk out, and I look. Oh, God. And it's Paul. <laughs> alone through the field toward me. <laughs> now, you have no idea how unnerving all of you listeners who have dreamed of meeting <laughs> Paul in your life, like me, who had looked at him in Hard Day's Night mm -hmm. in the matinee from 9 a.m. till midnight, repeatedly, hell, Hard Day's Night, let it be. I mean, I was such a massive fan. I studied all those books of the skyline of Liverpool, everything. And now suddenly Is I'm that? watching Paul walk toward me in the shirt that I gave him <laughs> that's all embroidered in birds. And I put his name, Paul, in red on the collar. And as he approaches me, I ease my camera out of my pocket <laughs> foolishly and I laid it on the gatepost because I did not want anything to interfere with this meeting mm -hmm. that was fixing to happen. So Paul comes up to me, he says, you're the one with the base. Referring to me giving the base, I said, yes. You're the he one with said, the base? Oh my God. You know, it would be silly it would be silly for me to keep it. I said, okay. So we walked together about 400 feet together down to the pavilion. And he says, Dan, I want you to meet Roy Orbison. And I shook hands with Roy, all in his black leather. <laughs> a little bit to set the what's going on there for a party for Paul there. It's very low key. There's just music like on a, a little cassette deck there's a finger food it's very low-key there's wine linda is in a long peasant dress the wings is scattered around talking to each other jerry reed has left by this time chet atkins is gone and it's just me paul and roy orbison so i tell paul i'm looking at paul in the face and i said paul you know when the beatles broke up a lot of your fans broke up too. You know, I said, uh, you know, uh, fans of John's went with him and your fans went with you. And I said, friendships actually broke up 
-hmm. when the Beatles broke up. I mean, I never thought about it during this conversation of what I was saying. It's just what came out, this one-on-one conversation with Paul. We talked a little about the fan club. I was a big advocate for the fan club to do more. And he told me, will you speak to my manager, Brian Broly, about that? And eventually I moved off from him and Roy. And I went over to, you know, not smother them. And I went over and spent some time with the rest of the band. And Jimmy, eventually I hear him holler for me. Hey, Dan, Dan. I look up. He says, Paul is hollering at you. And I looked and Paul and Linda have gotten into the car, which is pulled down in the field next to the pavilion at the pond. And I, so I walk over. This is what Paul was doing. Paul was making sure that he acknowledged me and told me goodbye. And that's just the kind of guy he is. And he knew they'd all told him what a big fan I was of him. I mean, I gave him my base. And he was going to acknowledge me before he left. And I said, Paul, just in case you don't know, Yellow Submarine is on Nashville TV tonight. And I said, you going to watch it? And he said, I, I don't know. I don't know. But that was, now Linda says in her, in this newsletter up here behind me, that the best night they had, her favorite time was on Paul's birthday at the barbecue at the picnic area. And besides Jerry Reed, Chet Atkins, Roy Orbison, Dan Ely was there, some 19-year-old kid who idolized his hero, Paul McCartney. And somehow, I managed to be there. So, that shirt that I gave him has showed up now in a lot of photographs. If you look at Paul at the LA Forum on his birthday in June of uh, 76, he's wearing my shirt again. Paul, you could get another shirt for your birthday. No, he, I, you know, it's an honor to see it. I would notice it everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So embroidered yeah. And, uh, most people, they, you, you don't get enough uh, close-up to know, but here on the collar in red, it says Paul. So that was, you know, one of three or four encounters that I had with Paul uh, during my visit. Another was I decided one day to take my guitar player friend Billy with me because he and I had idolized the Beatles and played in the band and adored the Beatles since we were 15. And I asked him one day, I hesitated. I was at his house. I said, hey, you want to go see Paul? He goes, yeah. Yeah, I like to go. So we, so we take off down the interstate, and we get out at the farm, and I go in the gatehouse, and he stays outside, and suddenly he runs in. He goes, come on, come on. Paul's coming down the driveway. So I ran out with my camera, and... Billy's, Billy's telling me many years later, you ran out in front of the car. I said, no, no, I didn't. He said, yes, you did. So, you know, if you look at my pictures that you can see on uh, Paul McCartney and Wayne's at Junior's Farm, the Facebook page, you'll see that Paul is there in the driver's seat and the hood ornament is right in front of me. So I did actually run out in front of the car. But here's the funny thing. Paul rose down the window. Now, my friend Billy has never been there before. And he, on his first occasion, he gets to meet Paul. 
But Paul rolls down the window and goes, how you doing, Dan? And my friend is hearing Paul McCartney call out my name. And he, he looks at me and he says, Paul McCartney knows your name. I said, if I ever write a book, I'll call it Paul McCartney knows your name. Following on, and we have the ying to Andrew Brooks's yang, aka Mr. Simon Rogers and or Mr. Roger Simons, who is one of the London editors for Beatle Fan magazine. After this episode, Andrew and Roger actually came up to see me in Birmingham for a few drinks, and it was one of the best days for me ever as a fan. And in sharing this episode, I hope I'll be able to convey just how much of an arresting storyteller he is. And whilst putting this episode together, it really gave me a hankering for doing something with both him and Andrew, and that has now been put into place. Keep your ear to the ground for that in the future. But yeah, let's hear the tape. I mean, I will, I will go through my potted history, um, but, you know, it's, it's completely different now. Um, you had so much access to Paul back in the, in the 80s. You know, and I'm not saying this is a big-headed thing, you know. I hate these people who go, I was there, you uh-huh. wasn't. Yeah, you know? oh, but it hurts. I mean, yeah. I love stories. I love, you know, you hear the stories about, you know, uh, Lizzie Bravo getting into the Across the Universe sessions or... You know, for people who don't know, David Stark is the guy who got into Yellow Submarine yes, as a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what's always, you know, really, you know, thing about being a McCartney fan, no matter who you meet, love him or hate him, everybody's got a story about him. Either they've met him or they know somebody who's met him, you know. And that's the thing that really started me off. And as I said, um, when I first met Paul, he used to be at Air Studios. So you could just pop up to Oakley Street, he'd come out, and then on a Wednesday, on a Friday, he'd be at MPL at lunchtime, so you'd go there. And the, the, the strange thing is, it's completely different. So everybody now has got a smartphone, camera, whatever. I have very few photos from MPL because it was about meeting Paul. If you've got a camera in your hand, he's not going to talk to you, is he? Mm-hmm. And it's completely different now. You go now, I mean, you know, it must be terrible for him. You know, you, everywhere you go, people are shoving cameras in your face, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the only way I can relate to it is, you know, I've got a trip with daughters when they were small. My, daughter, my wife used to say, when you do the shopping, you push the pram round because everybody would come, oh, that must be like every time you go out. So, you know, you know, I love stories. I mean, I heard one this week and I can't tell you the hotel because the guy still works at there. Well, a friend of mine is a taxi driver, and he's saying, this guy's a massive Beatles fan. Paul walks in. He's like, oh, Paul, 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 can you sign something? Can you sign something? He goes, um, got a business meeting. I, I sign on the way out. So Paul comes out, and the guy goes, oh, can you sign? Can you sign? And he goes, we both know that you can get the sack for asking me to sign for you, so I'm not going to sign. As he walked out, the head doorman turned around and said, I don't think the business meeting went too well. So, you know... Everybody's got a story about them. No, I feel like I'm missing out here. I feel I feel like I need to become more in more intrepid and brave and take a few risks and hop over the fence at Hogs Hill Mill, you know, and go and yeah. go through the bins. No. Yeah, and this kind of thing, you know what this reminds me of? You go know on. the 
You know the start of the My Brave Face video. Oh, it's my passion. It's my collection. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't get a Sergeant Pepper jacket, but I've got McCartney tour jacket. Just like I say. And here is my latest acquisition. Oh, everyone needs a McCartney room for their collection. Yeah. Totally. Just... A McCartney loft, even better. <laughs> Welcome to my office. Yes. <laughs> this is this is where I do work. <laughs> Oh my but, god, we you know we don't but, know how good we have it. You're right. You're you don't right. know how good you, you're lucky. What people don't realise, 1970s was a complete wasteland. People hated the Beatles. Absolutely, that's absolute nothing. I mean, I lived in Clapham Junction. I nearly followed this bloke to find out where he got a Beatle T-shirt from because you just could not buy anything. There was nothing out there. Mm-hmm. The weird thing is, 79. I was a bigger Wings fan. Then I was a Beatles fan. Mm. Why? Why? Because it was a band that was touring. It was a band that was putting out new releases, and they had a fan club. Yeah, Beatles, nothing. And I remember still arguing with some guy, you know, about whether Abba Arrival was a better album than Sgt. Pepper. The jury's still out on that one. <laughs> you know, it it was, but you could do it then. You could. It was, you know. And I think the thing that upsets me now is not only the price of the tickets, it's this platinum VIP package bill. And I'll tell you a story, and it's a true story, but it always makes me laugh, the difference between then and now. 93, Paul plays Els Cool. So I say to a guy at work, look, cover for me, I'm going to nip out and get a couple of tickets. So he covered me for a couple of hours. I got there really, really early. Um, get let's let's in and as, and we'd all worked out get the maximum we can for each night and we split out which best tickets we can get between us. So I go to the woman and I said, uh, yeah, first night six tickets. McCartney um, and she offered me these tickets and I've gone. Have you got anything better than that? She goes, sir, they're front row circle, uh, front row centre. And I went, oh, all right, I'll have those. If you were to do that now, you would have to get a VRP platinum package, sell a kidney. Sell your house. They were cost price. They were normal price. And we were front row. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And I went back to the guy and I said to him, oh, I've got your ticket, but it's really shit. I was, what was he? I was, I was 10th row. And he said, 10th row, that shit. And he said to me, he went to the concert. He said, you know the amazing thing? He said, I've never seen a concert like it. He said, you was in the front row and you was talking to everybody. You knew everybody in the front row. He said, I've never seen so much love for a guy in all my life. He says, you lot would literally do anything for him. He said, I've never seen a concert like in the adulation that he was getting. And, you know, that, that's the thing, you know, that's, you know, that's what's taken away with all, as I said, the 13 versions of McCartney 3 or whatever it is, you know. It's a great story. And you know me, I, I love people who can tell a great story. And there was a guy from Q Magazine, and he got invited up to, Hog, uh, to the mill, and he's like, oh. and he's interviewed him, and he's and Paul's going, oh, do you want to um, do you want to hear what I've been working on? And he's like, oh, it's exclusive, fantastic, fantastic. He goes, yeah, it's um, a little bit out there, a little bit, you know, freaking out. And he said he played this track, and he said honestly, it was just like a cow farting. <laughs> and he said I had to sit there and listen to this. He said I don't know what the hell it was. And he said, what the hell do you say? You know. Mm. When something like that, it's like your worst nightmare, you know. He, he, 
he says, oh, God, it's great track. And it's the frog chorus. And he plays it to you the first time. And, you you, you know, how did, how do you react to that? What do you say, you know? It... Oh, Paul. He invested so much into that bloody Rup- into that Rupert the Bear stuff. He really did. Uh, but it's, 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 it's a outtakes. No, Sunshine Sometime is legit one of my favourite McCartney tracks. Yeah. Yeah. It actually flows as as a film. You can literally listen to the CD and you can imagine yourself going, yeah, this is going to happen. You know. What are they... Give it another stab with Netflix. If if this Up in the Clouds thing does well... Do 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 Rupert the Bear again, and like I'm sure Paul can add some more narration. Yeah, I think it could it could it could work because like those narrations where Paul's like, so then he and Sailor Sam went went off into the meadow and through the lake, like that's just that's magic. That is like that that yeah. was worth releasing. What what gets me is he threw all that money at Broad Street. If he'd thrown it at Rupert and done a proper legit full length all singing, all dancing movie. And you probably won't remember, there used to be uh, a show called Spit and Image. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, they had a great sketch. There's McCartney at a restaurant, <laughs> and the waiter comes up, and he's got this big tray with a thing. He goes, oh, yes, Mr McCartney, you're turkey. And he listed the thing there's a copy of Broad Street. <laughs> oh, ho, ho. zing. Oh, that's that, that's very private eye. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I, uh, I can imagine Ian, Ian Hislop guffawing at that, you know. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. I, I never knew McCartney was uh, uh, spoofed on a splitting image. I'm, I'm definitely going to have to link, link, link that clip down below. Yeah. Um, Let's press on to the next item then. What have we got? Right. This is a multiple item. A multiple item. Okay. Um, and I've been lucky enough to go to some really cool events, do some really cool stuff. But uh, it's some of my photos. Now, I, I must admit, when someone says to me, would you like to look at my photos of Paul McCartney? I've got an album. I kind of go, oh, so I will try and keep it brief. <laughs> you know, you, you don't want a two and a half slide show, you know. But I will yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. This is this is me at the at the pyramids of Giza. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But the reason I've picked them is because they've got stories with them. Go for it. Okay. So the first one, I don't know if you can see that. Yeah. Is that 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 looks like he's at some sort of lipper event. That is Kew Gardens, okay. Um, I've actually written a date down here. It's 26th of March, 2001. There's a great story about this. It's to launch a scarf range for Linda. He's just started going out with Heather Mills. I'm in the press pack taking photos because I blagged my way in there, basically. Um, All the press boys have got the right arm, and I'm like, I can't be standing in front of him. What do you want about him? I just take as many shots as I can get. They wanted a photo with him and Heather because that was the big story. And at the end of the photo shoot, his PR, Jeff Baker, come over and says, lads, you're not going to get the photo you want. He's not going to pose with her. Forget it. I've got a terrible sense of direction. So I'm trying to find my way out of Kew Gardens. What I didn't realise is he's having a guided tour, VIP, of the whole of Kew Gardens. So if you bump into someone once, it's embarrassing. If you bump into someone twice, it's... Yeah, it's quite funny. 
Three times this extreme, I bumped into him four times trying to find the exit as I'm walking around Kew Gardens. <laughs> and in the end, it was just like, oh, it was you. You know, so that's, that's why I picked that one. <laughs> oh, it's my one. God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at that. That's insane. That's insane. That is my birthday, May 3rd. Um, Tony Blair got in Feldman. Chelsea won the FA Cup, and I you met, met Paul. Paul. Oh my All gosh! Same day, big day, big um, day. That's during Stadium Stone. Oh, fantastic! That's when he recorded Stadium Stone. Uh, that's him at the cavern. Is that is that the performance of the cavern, or is he or is he just? Yeah, there? That's, yeah. that's the press call beforehand. He did a photo shoot beforehand. Uh, a couple more, and I'll, I'll show you something else. So he did the Walker Art Gallery for his paintings. So oh, that's that's very two thousands, Paul. That the uh, denim jacket and the obviously dyed hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's such a like. <laughs> the hair color never stays the same. No, I, I don't. I don't like how it's it's thinner at the top, but it's still got this really kind of thick base to it. It, it just looks yeah. weird. It looks like it's Lego hair. That, that was Hay and Why when he did the Blackbird signing poetry event. He actually read his poetry, which was mm-hmm. an interesting. Nobody's going to sit there and criticise you enough. Carry on, Paul. You know? yeah. And I've got three more to show, and I can get the hell out of it. Um, this one is rather special. That's my last photo of Paul and Linda. That's an incredible photo. That is. That needs to be in a book. <laughs> that is. That is. And the reason the reason Linda is pulling that face is because I plucked up the carriage to walk in row in front of them as if I was going to my seat, and then whipped the camera out, and then the camera wouldn't fire. <laughs> standing there going, work if I go, work. That's funny. Go on, take the photo, take the photo. And like, oh. So that's why she's pulling that face. Oh, my God. And I'll show you the last photo I, I, I took of Paul. And it's quite sad, really, because it was just before COVID broke. So he's not wearing a mask. Now he wears a mask and he loves it. He says he's got anonymity. Nobody's going to bother him if he's wearing a mask because nobody knows who he is. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit of a plug. So I don't care if what you say is, is a bit of a plug. Hey. That's Paul leaving Waterstones for the um, playground dude. And the reason I show this is it's the only time in history I'm going to share a page with a photo by Linda McCartney. Because that's... Linda McCartney, 1970, that's Paul now. And that's the only time it's ever going to happen, so that's why I've got it framed. Oh, honestly, one of the best things about this show is seeing the stuff people have framed, because that is the stuff that clearly you know that people want to protect from all of the elements and from time and from sunlight. That is incredible. Is that that mounted publicly, or is that still, still in the loft? No, 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 that's, that's publicly, that's, that's out, you know. I've spotted the vinyl version of this available somewhere. You know, there's so many, it, it was just, you could tell McCartney had hand in it, but it was just ridiculous. I looked at the catalogue and I just went, how much? Yeah. You know? 
Again, it's like, I'm sure that's exactly what Jack White wanted when he signed on to do that, you know, <laughs> for it to skyrocket to three grand on eBay, because that's keeping in the the uh, rock and roll spirit, you know, of a live, live, live free, die hard and sell everything for as much as you can on auction websites. <laughs> but those photos are incredible that you... Uh, the access people have to Paul and have had to Paul is indescribable, really. I can't even imagine being within 10 feet of him anymore because he just goes from car to building now. Like, you know, the stereotype yeah, yeah. of, you know, the Beatles going in from one car to another. Paul literally does does that now. I mean, and as I said, I never had a camera with me at MPL because it wasn't about that. It was... Chatting to the guy and he'd say hello to you, how you doing? And after time he recognises you, and, you know, hang on, you know. Okay, he might not know your name, but he's like, it's that annoying get again, standing there, you know. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's really changed now. And I think what's really changed as well, and I couldn't find it, I was trying to find a photo to illustrate you how fandom's changed. Mm-hmm. Um, a few years ago, when Rock Show got reissued, yeah. they had a screening at BAFTA, so I wanted to get some shots of him going in. And the shot that I've got is unbelievable. It just shows you, you know, basically eBay has changed it for everybody. They have these, you know, professional autograph hunters just stick it straight on eBay. That's what they're on about. That's all they do. Um, so the security come out to us and said, look, if you all keep calm, he'll sign. Any son of an asshole will be straight in. Soon as he came forward, these guys rush forward, and I've got a shot of Paul standing there and oh, no. LP cover. LP covers like that from his eye. <gasps> Someone's trying to get an autograph. Oh god. And he just run. He just run. But that's what it's like now. You know, people see a fast buck and everything. You know. Um well, I don't think and- the fan base would even have of grown to what it is with social media though, because you know, you'd get more clout now from retweeting a photo and putting it on your, on your Instagram page of Paul, rather than having that conversation with him and talking to him about the latest single and having that memory. Uh, You know, the the scruffs would all have their phones out trying to peek over the wall and be flying, be flying drones over his wall. And there'd, there'd be no contact. It'd be like where he is now. When I when I met him on my birthday, and you know, I'm not saying a big editor about it, I was just extremely lucky. He'd walked from Cavendish and he was just walking down the road into Abbey Road. Stopped, talked to the fans, how you doing? Yeah, you want a photo? No problem, no problem. We followed him into Abbey Road, he posed on the steps. None of that would happen now. It'd just be straight in, you know, and that that's what, you know, that's what sad saddens me, you know. <laughs> always running late no matter where he's going he's always running late you know every, you know he used to every time he said, I'm running late I'm running late catch you on the way out catch you on the way out you know it's that's hilarious no, because, uh, I mean, you know, you do have the the macaganda of, you know, he always stops and gives every fan that little in, individual moment, but there must be innumerable times where he's just gone, look, I'm, I'm really sorry, my taxi's just over there. I've, I, I, need, I need the toilet. I've got to go. I'm really sorry. 
He's only human. He's only he's only human. Yeah. Right. Let's round this out then. Do we have a final item? We've got two more. Oh, 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 is that a third? You're right. sure changing yourself. Oh my gosh. I'm gonna I might I might re-edit that. Go on, go on. Friend these involve our friend of the show, Dagenham Dave, Andy Brooks. Andy Brooks, Dagenham and, Dave. <laughs> and when Paul did the memorial service for Linda at Mart St. Martin in the Fields, mm-hmm. I said to Andy, I'll meet you at Charing Cross. And he said, Yeah, not a problem, meet you at Charing Cross. We go to the service office, see if we can get some photos, pay our respects, whatever. I arrived there early. So I'll go into WH Smith. If you don't know Charing Cross, there was a WH Smith on the concourse. And I'm standing funny enough reading Q magazine, minding my own business. 3.30, I'll go and see Andy. Walk out. Andy goes, did you see him? I said, what are you on about? What are you on about? He said, you didn't see him, did you? He says, no. He says, Paul, come off the train. He said, he's walked past you while you're in, Char- in WH Smith's reading Q magazine, walked past you straight out. He said, I turned up, saw John Hamill, his driver, standing there. Twig what was happening. He said, I couldn't say anything. I couldn't say anything because, you know, and I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. So I, I had to do this on of reading Q magazine while Paul was completely frightened. You need and, oh, mobile. If only, if only mobile phones existed, get outside now. Get, get outside right and now. And, you know, there is one story that I always tell, which is, like, my favourite story. For me, you know, all this stuff is great, but I couldn't show it in the five because I have nothing to show for it. It's a memory. I was incredibly lucky, you know, and I'm not saying this to boast, but I'm truly, truly grateful. I won the Radio 2 competition for Chaos and the Creation in the Backyard. Oh, wow. Oh, so awesome. I got invited to see Paul record in Studio 2 at Abbey Road. So I'm like, holy shit. So me, me and Andy, we arrive, and we're talking to the... Uh, person with the list and they said can I help you and I said I am the Radio 2 winner where's the rest of the winners and they said you're it and I said what I said, there's only two people been picked from the whole Radio 2 the rest of it's his family and friends so we're like okay so we go in there Heather Mills is sitting there and I can honestly say it's one of the few times it's my best ever memory of meeting Paul actually had the hairs on the back of my head go when he said this is where I stood this is where George stood this is where John stood this is where John did the vocal for Girl and did the and it was an unbelievable event because we're quite cheeky we managed to get out of an MPL wristband there's an event afterwards so we go right we go to the bar Hartley walks in Shit, we're backstage with McCartney. Just, you know, oh my word, oh my word. So we're there, and Andy goes, This is the only time MPL was going to buy us a drink. This hit the bar. So we're drinking more and more because we're more and more nervous. More and more. We could see him over the other side of the security guard in front of them. We're like, oh. Anyway, comes towards the end of the evening, Paul starts to work the room. So he's going to take, How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? And he's coming towards him. Towards us, my God, Andy, this is your one chance. Oh. Ask Paul the question 
that you've always wanted to ask him. And then he goes, I've got it. I've got it. Because what he says, no, 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 I'm not going to tell you this. It's the one question he's never, ever been asked. So I was like, what is, no, no, no. So it's all right, it's coming towards us. So he's coming towards us. He's like, ah. Takes one, looks at us. Recognises us as fans. Recognises us as pissed fans because you can see this pile of booze and half-eaten packets of Doritos on the table. Walks towards us and then does <laughs> 90 degrees out of the building. Completely. Uh, <laughs> oh no. So, oh. <laughs> this has been bugging me for years. Oh for years. has he never what told you what question? what was the question? So I cornered him in the pub about two years ago. I was saying this a lot. This has been keeping me awake for years. What was the question that he was gonna ask, Paul? He goes, I can't remember, I was pissed. <laughs> no, <laughs> Andy, no. Next up, and we have an episode that I'm particularly proud of because of how unique the guest is and how exclusive he is, actually. This episode is with Nicholas Leroy, the creator of The Paul McCartney Project. And what is The Paul McCartney Project? Well, folks, if you don't use it already, it's the single greatest resource on the internet for McCartney fans. Imagine The Beatles Bible, a version of that, but all about Paul and created by one single man. He's a rather private figure and had never done an interview prior to this episode. So, yeah, I'm pretty darn proud of it. Roll the tape, Johnny. Thank you very much to, to have me. I mean, I'm quite pleased to be uh, on your show. I mean, uh, it's a nice uh, concept uh, that you had uh, with uh, Maka in your attic. So, delighted to be there. No, thank you. Um, I, I I did steal the uh, the uh, format entirely from a show called A Word in Your Attic, uh, but I just made it about McCartney purely. I don't think I'm going to get sued. I should be all right. But before we be, before we begin, like seriously, let me just like I've got to thank you because my 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 podcast, the main show, Paul or Nothing, would not be where it is today without the Paul McCartney Project. Like it is such an important part of my research. Like I always like to start off with books. I go to my I, I, I go to my book collection first and I get all my quotes ready for an episode. Like I'll be talking about off the ground or something. And then I'll go on the Paul McCartney project. And I'm like, oh, I could have just looked this up in five minutes. Like it's there. Every single quote I need is there. Every single issue of <laughs> club sandwich is quoted somewhere. It is absolutely insane. But you know what? For the benefit of anyone who might not know, what is the Paul McCartney project and how did it start? So the Paul McCartney project is a, is a website I started 10 years ago, 11 years ago, 2010. Uh, oh. And the idea was that, um, I mean, the, the, the career of McCartney is rich, I mean, from the 60s to now. Uh, and it's all about browsing from one thing to another. So when I when I buy a CD or a vinyl, I like to look at the booklet. I like to see the uh, the artist, uh, the the players who have sing on this track or that track. And then I would like to know, okay, uh, this guy has has played on this track. Which other tracks has he has he played on? And, and you know you can't really do that. Uh, so you you have some yeah, there are some great books uh, where you can try to uh, to dive into the indexes to find that, but it's very difficult. So that was the idea of the website is 
to use the the, the internet links uh, and basically you go from an album to a song to a song to artist uh, or you can go to a, to a concert page and then you go back to a, to, a, to the tour page and so on and so on so it's it's, it's really about I expect I I hope that users are browsing on the website, are, are, are switching from this page to that page and are, discover, are discovering something in the between. In between. So that, that was the idea, the initial idea. I can guarantee you they are, because even just a couple of days ago, I, I discovered the section on the website that goes into the making of all the music videos. And I was like, oh my God, this is a treasure trove of information. How do I, like, and I feel like I haven't even explored half the website yet. I haven't even explored a 10th of the articles and it's always exciting to be like, oh, okay, uh, let's, let, let's find out about something about Uwea Soleil. Like, oh, it's there. It's there. There's everything you need, you need, you need, you need to know. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, so like, did you take inspiration from sites like the Beatlesbible.com? Were they around before uh, so, McCartney Project? I think they were around at the same time, uh, but honestly, when I started this project, I knew nothing about uh, the online website about McCartney. Uh, mm. So uh, I've discovered the, the Beatles, the, the Beatles Bible uh, later on. Okay. Uh, good thing is that uh, so I started with the uh, with the uh, the solo period and the late solo period, uh, and then at some point I said, okay. I need to cover the Beatles period as well because if I want to cover the concerts and I mean yes, all those yeah, Beatles yeah. Uh, titles, so I need to cover the songs. But then, I mean, but, I mean, who am I to cover the Beatles period when I mean there are so many people who have covered it? So should I do it? Should I do not? And then I switched to it, and then I looked at the Beatles Bible. I mean, they covered the, the Beatles period. I mean, it's amazing uh, the, the way they look at it. So yeah, I always have those kind of dilemma. Where do I stop? What what is my remit? Uh, and basically, I think my remit is I mean the entire career I'm trying to cover. And so basically, ten years have passed. Uh, the site is way it is, but I I will need ten or twenty more years, right? <laughs> is there any information that you feel like you haven't got access to that you'd like to include on the site, like maybe a catalogue or a gallery of every painting McCartney has painted? You know, some something like that. Things that we don't have access to. Oh yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, I mean, it started with the, the music, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the idea was to cover the music, and and then uh, it covers a bit the the films, uh, the, the the music videos, uh, and then indeed the books, uh, the paintings, uh, and, and obviously I, I didn't want to cross and explore the, the personal life, but. But the problem is that the personal life and the, uh, the, his career are so uh, intertwined. I mean, uh, Linda, even in the, the way what he, what he, he does with uh, his daughters uh, those days, I mean, the, the legacy of uh, Linda McCartney food and so on, it's so intertwined. So I have to cover that. So uh, so yeah, of course. I mean, I mean, I can't imagine what I, I don't have access to, obviously. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, it's, there are so many things. I mean, we are, we are talking about 60 years, right, uh, of someone very active. Uh, so, you know, I always discover something new. Uh, and sometimes, sometimes I even find something, wow, I didn't know that. And I, I'm going to add it to the website. And, oh, okay, it's already there. I <laughs> <laughs> 
That's fantastic. I do. You know what? So much of what you're saying, I totally sympathize with because when I started this show five years ago, uh, I was like, okay, I'm just going to do an album every two weeks. <laughs> and I sh if I'd have stuck to that format, I would have been finished about three and a half years ago. And then it's like, oh, okay, well then I'll, I'll do a couple of episodes about the music videos and they'll do a couple of episodes about uh, unreleased tracks. And then suddenly you realize that you're five years down the line and you haven't even covered Flaming Pie yet. Like it, it, is, uh, it is a maddening, maddeningly expansive uh, catalog of, of, of work. And I mean, you know, people like say, you know, are we out of Beatles books yet? I'm like, well, no, uh, we, we need all the books on all the little side avenues now because, uh, you know, we've we've heard the main story enough enough times. But all of these bits of bits of trivia are just so easy to get to get lost in. It's 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 just as ubiquitous as Wikipedia. It's just about Paul, yeah. uh, Paul McCartney. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So many different uh, hyperlinks to go <laughs> off at. <laughs> That's a good tagline, the Wikipedia of McCartney. I, thought I should think about it. It is, though. It is. It is. It is that useful for me. And I do find it to be much more credible than Wikipedia because it's not publicly sourced. It is somewhat privately curated. And I do think that gives it a bit more um, just cred credibility, I guess. But uh, do you do it all by yourself or do you have mods and admins and that kind of thing to help you out? No, it's all by myself. Uh, I have uh, a few uh, friends that are uh, pointing me, uh, oh, have you seen uh, this or that? Uh, but mostly it's, it's by myself, yeah. And is it done by hand? You literally type every article up, proofread it, read it again, upload it, and then it's done? Like, how long, how long is this, like, I mean... Obviously, it's been, it, it, it's been 10 years, but to even get it up to a point where you can upload the website like that still must have been hundreds of articles and hundreds of pages yeah yeah it is so i mean i'm lucky to have a a background in computing so i'm able to so basically i've built a back office where i mean i can easily input things for instance the albums so if i put a set list of an album it will auto recognize the songs and link to the songs and so on so I've built my my tool set right to to speed up things, but uh, uh, I mean basically I want to remove all the, the the time lost to input things. I really want to concentrate on the content, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, so I mean it's still a lot, a lot of work. I mean at the moment I'm digging, uh, I'm covering the White Album, uh, the sessions of the White Album. Man, it's boring. I mean, there are so many days. <laughs> so I mean, they spent, I mean, they spent ten days on Opladi Oplada uh, doing it three times. I mean, they did two remakes, and I'm, I'm trying to dig into that. So obviously, I mean, uh, I have, uh, uh, I have uh, this uh, here uh, that is oh, wow. me. I have the, uh, the official. Uh, 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 box set. Uh, oh, <laughs> I have the Beatles Bible, and I'm trying, to, you know, to to, to spin it uh, into something that is unique. Uh, uh, I mean, the Beatles Bible is, is really great, but I'm, I, I, I don't want to copycat what, what mm. they are doing. I mean, yeah, I'm just trying to, to to bring a different perspective, and 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 still this idea of 
of linking from one page to another and exploring uh, that way. Um, do you, have you tried to construct the, the, the website entirely without opinion? Is it all just fact? There's no uh, kind of spin personally on it? Yeah, uh, that's what I'm, yeah, I'm trying to do that. Uh, and are, I mean, there's something that I don't really like in the uh, uh, fandom, uh, I mean, all, all those forums and so on, uh, that, oh, I've built, uh, I think that uh, this album is crap. Oh no, I think it's great. And then it goes into uh, everlasting conversations. Mm -hmm. But I think everyone is entitled uh, to like or not like a song. And I don't really see uh, the point uh, in going into uh, debates, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I really don't want uh, uh, my website to be about, uh, about yeah, it's not opinionated. Uh, so as, for instance, as much as, as I like eight harms to all you, uh, there's a lot of opinions in there. Oh, uh, so, okay, that, that's interesting because obviously that's linked at the bottom of Paul McCartney project quite a lot. There's like a little uh, copy of copy of the book. And uh, I had Chip Manager on the show recently yeah. re 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 here. That, that was a great episode. I didn't know there was opinions in that because I, I, I remember I was shocked when I read Re uh, Revolution in the Head and... Half of it's really good analysis, and then the other yeah. half is just, it's just some guy like me who I don't know just going, uh, while yeah. my guitar gently weeps sucks. And you're like, what are you on about? What? How is this even in a book? So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I'm trying to, to stay away uh, from that. So I'm trying to be uh, really uh, factual. Uh, and even if, I mean, Sometimes Mark Hartney has talked about uh, a song uh, in, uh, in an interview in the 80s and another one in the 90s, and uh, he contradicts uh, himself, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and even in that case, I'm, I'm quoting uh, the two uh, uh, because I think that's also important. I mean, I mean the, the reader can judge uh, uh, what he wants. I mean. But yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to take a position. I, th I think the most difficult part uh, when I'm adding some content is when there are uh, um, there are uh, discrepancies between the, the sources. Uh, so for instance, if you have, I don't know, if you have uh, Mark Lewison saying, oh, this happened uh, during that session, and then you have another authoritative source saying, uh, no, this happened during that session. And it's very, I mean, in, in the terms that are very definitive in the books, okay. Uh, so I have two different views. Mm -hmm. uh, they seems pretty uh, sure about what they say. I mean, how do I choose, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So sometimes I don't choose uh, and I mention it. Uh, Otto, uh, Le Levison says uh, A and uh, this author says B. And sometimes I'm trying to be, um, yeah, to, ta uh, to take an opinion uh it's quite rare but yeah sometimes i'm trying to uh and it's usually based on uh, the i mean when i correlate with some of the source uh that i found right uh mm -hmm. I, I think the thing that i really hate is when there are official releases with mistakes in the uh, uh in the liner notes uh mm -hmm. so that yeah driving me mad so, I mean, that happens quite a lot in the archive uh, collection. Uh, I don't remember, I think it was uh, Venus and Mars, where there, there are clearly some mistakes uh, in the book. Like, it's, uh, 
No, that's interesting because one of the uh, main stories that came out this week, uh, it was just in one of the recent news segments I covered in the pod, and the uh, promoter for Jimi Hendrix's first UK tour has recently come out and said that Paul McCartney was definitely not at that show that Jimi Hendrix was at. And it's like, oh, okay, now we've got to reevaluate the last 40 years of stories that Paul has been telling. Oh, no. Oh, so many books could be wrong okay. now. Yeah, that's... Uh, I, didn't, I didn't follow that. Yes. <laughs> quite troubling, seeing as how in McCartney 321, Paul tells the exact same story again. So I reckon yeah. that, was, that was definitely timed. Someone's definitely... <laughs> thought ahead with that one but before we press on to the true subject at hand um what what made you decide to be a kind of semi-anonymous figure then was it just to avoid the the riffraff of the Beatles fandom or well, well no I mean I, I'm, I'm not uh, looking for fame right uh, and I don't necessarily have many entries uh, in, the, in the community so I'm on uh, the Steve Hoffman forum uh, I'm on, I was on Bootleg Zone uh, before he died, uh, but uh, I mean, not in an anonymous way. I mean, I have my words, but, but I didn't contribute too much, right? So, mm -hmm. and again, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's a question about uh, where do you spend your time? Uh, okay. Do I prefer spending my time on forums discussing and changing, or do I prefer spending my time uh, looking at content and adding content? I, I prefer the second option, right? Uh, and I think what really, I mean, the, the pleasure of uh, managing this website is, for instance, when, when you tell me that uh, uh, it's, a, it's, it's an important source uh, of information for you, uh, or when I receive some comments uh, on the website uh, where people saying, okay, uh, oh, I found a little mistake uh, here. I mean, that's great. I mean, because I mean, yeah. the, the person has spent time to read into the details, has enjoyed the details, and feels that uh, it can contribute. So that, I mean, those are the little pleasure, and obviously the the the, the traffic occurred, right? <laughs> Again, I so relate to that idea of where do you want to spend your time because. Uh, something I get quite a lot of flack for from Facebook moderators and admins is when I've got a new episode of, of the of the show out, I'll go on to about 50 Paul McCartney Facebook groups, 50 Paul McCartney Facebook pages, 50 Beatles groups, 50 Beatles pages, copy and paste, copy and paste, link, link, link. And it's scummy. I know it is. And no, I don't contribute to any of these pages. I don't start any conversations. I barely comment. I mostly only comment on other podcasters' pages. And that's because, no, I don't have the time to sit around and say, no, lovely Rita meter maids better than she's leaving home. And it's like, what am I actually getting from that? I could put that time into just making yeah, another ep episode of, episode of the show. So... I'm glad we're on the same page, Nicholas. I really am. I really am. <laughs> then for our penultimate part, we have one of my very favourite figures in Beatles new media, Mr. Joe Wisby, a.k.a. Mr. Beatle Books. And after I had him on the podcast, I knew because of my bad reading habits that there were going to be few and far between topics that would actually get him back on. So I went straight to Mac in the attic just to chat with him again. Simple as. Also, I knew he would have different kinds of objects to talk about and different insights into them. And let's hear some of that right now. So, Joe, I had you on 
Paul on, I think, a short while ago. And the majority of that episode was me kind of apologising to you for being a terrible reader in general. So I thought I'd start off. We all do. We all do. And (laughs) certainly the listeners do. Um, But I thought I'd ask, what's a good light Beatles read? Uh, I would recommend on that particular area, Alan Williams's book, uh, Alan Williams, as we know, was the first Beatles manager back in Liverpool in the early 60s. And he wrote a book uh, called The Man Who Gave the Beatles Away. Uh, it was written in the late 70s, actually, back, or mid-70s. Mm. So it's, uh, it's I think, it, alas, maybe out of print now, but it's easy enough to find on uh, Amazon, eBay and other websites should you wish to look for it um and it, he tells he's it's like having a chat with a slightly strange but interesting man in the pub uh, <laughs> which which you all know a lot about in your line of work uh, and uh, i used to do the same thing so i'm a sort of aware of it myself but yeah it's good really light good fun stories um lots of stuff about john and paul painting the toilets in the club that he used to own and paul's te- paul's terrible um paintbrush skills and that he his cutting in was was, was appalling uh so yeah i would think the Alan Williams <laughs> one is, is really is really good and then he wrote another one in the mid 90s which is called the fool on the hill which basically covers his life from the mid 70s to the early 90s uh, and includes when he went to new york to try and speak to yoko um and i think he might have got as far as the first step on the dakota before the door was slammed in his face. Um, but yeah, the first Alan Williams book, nice, fun, easy read, good insight into the early Beatles as well. Now, this question probably, if I'd have done my notes, probably would have come up much later, but I've only just thought of it here. Um, Go on. Obviously, prints and reprints are something that plagues the vinyl community enough. Like, And, you know, we have to supplement ourselves with online sources. Are there you know, Beatles books that haven't been reprinted that fallen out of copyright, the owners of all writers have died, that are now wink, wink on PDF files online. There are, yeah, there are a few, because there's a few notable ones that aren't in print that go for like silly money on eBay. Um, there, there's a really interesting one called Waiting for the Beatles, which was written by a woman called Carol Bedford, who was an Apple scruff. Okay. And she wrote she wrote this book in about 83, 84, where she just tells the story of hanging outside Abbey Road, hanging outside Paul's house, John, John's house. Really good, again, a viewpoint that's not often looked at. Uh, so it's really, really valuable in that sense. And she wrote into the contract, apparently, allegedly, I hasten to add, uh, in case the lawyers are listening, uh, that the book should never be reprinted after she died. And she died in 2012. So that book which I happen to have on my shelf, which I'll, I'll, I'll promise you, which is on the Instagram page, at Books Beatles, if you don't believe me. Um, but it, it pops up in conversation now and then. So that book is out of print. Uh, I don't think there's a PDF of that anywhere. There's another really rare book, which you, there is a PDF, which I don't have a visual copy of, which I think, which, which is called John Lennon Called Me Normal, which is written by Norman Smith, who was one of the early producers. Only like a, or, or, It's only one like level up from a pamphlet. It's really not a particularly uh, thick or detailed book, but that's very hard to get hold of. May Pang's book, Loving John, you're looking at 40 to 50 bones on eBay for that. Uh, that's hard to get hold of. She apparently is working on a new book and doesn't want to go back to the old one, which is fair dues. Mm. But yeah, there are a few golden... Oh, um, Pete Shotton's book, which of course you know about, because you very kindly, uh, when I mentioned on my 
on my first appearance on your show that I didn't have Pete Shotton's book, a very kind listener got in touch with you and said, I've got one. Would Joe like that? And I was like, yeah. And then half thinking that it was a fantasy of some description <laughs> that I would wake up and yeah. it was all a lie. But sure enough, quite quickly, all the way from Arizona, I think it was. Um, I think it came from Arizona. Yeah, you could you could smell the desert on the pages almost. Um, uh, there it was, it dropped through my door. So that same myself. Again, you're looking at 60, 70 pounds online for that. So thank you, listener, if you're out there, um, um, which you probably are. Uh, and thank you, Sam, for that. So, yeah, Pete Shotton's book, very hard to get hold of. There's a holy trinity of about five or six out there. Not, not a trinity. A holy group of about five or six really high-quality Beatles books you can't get anymore. Um, but okay, but they are reappearing slowly. Uh, so what was another? There was another one that was... Um, Oh, Love Me Do, the Michael Brown, you know, the one of the early books that was written about them. That was out of print from about 95 to 2018, and then that's back out there now. So they do re-emerge. Okay. Is there any uh, kind of variation uh, fixation? Like, oh, here's, here's a copy of John Lennon Call Me Normal with a yellow cover, <laughs> and here's one with a red cover. Now you we're get, talking. You get... You get that occasionally, mainly because US and UK versions are often different cover art. So, uh, so for instance, one that I'm that I'm going to show you in a bit, the, the, the Tom Doyle book, uh, Man on the Run, which is which is one of my the US version of that has got a picture of Paul from the eighties on, uh, which is obviously hideously wrong because the book's about the seventies, but it's like a like a tug of war with Paul on the front. Uh, so yeah, occasionally, occasionally you get. Uh, different versions of stuff like that. Or, of course, another good one that's up like is the, the Paul Dunoyer book. Paul obviously has been a guest on both of our shows and was he's a wonderful, kind man. Uh, he spoke to me about his John book and spoke to you about, I'm guessing, the McCartney, yeah. the conversations. Yeah. His John Lennon book, which is called We All Shine On, that's come out about, it's, it's probably about, that was that came out in 97. You're looking at about 20 different editions of that up until the, the up until the, the one that came out <laughs> last year. Uh did different different pictures, same content. Uh, apparently he he said to me in our interview, the original version had a big full-page picture of Mark Chapman on it. And he was like, I'm not sure that's that's the best. <laughs> so that that came out after about the second or third edition. Uh, so yeah, books. And that's the weird thing about books. Unlike albums, you can reissue a book and it can have a completely different cover. If you if you reissue Abbey Road and the, the picture is a different... People don't watch Abbey Road. But with books, you can reissue a copy of Alice in Wonderland. You can have... How many different versions of that are there? You can have 50 different versions of that. So, uh, yeah, there, there are there is that kind of... And, of course, you, you could go really deep and collect different covers. Like, I know you do with vinyl, but I could really... Um, push myself to the edge of my sanity and start collecting different versions of the same book. Hunter Davies' book is another one that, that mean, and uh, there's probably about 50 different covers of book, uh, 50 different versions of that. No, I can't even, I can't even imagine how many versions of the same book must exist. I've got one by Stephen Turner. Um, that's a big Beatles book, Stephen C. Turner. And I remember right. there was a huge book. It's like all you know, facts on every single song. And then I bought that yeah. book. And then this is for my abandoned Beatles podcast from last year. And then I bought another book by the, I, did, I, I didn't even read the name, but it was literally the same book. Just, but just it was everything was just rearranged with different pictures and stuff. And fair play to that author. Like, yeah. he, he, you know, like if people want it, they're going to, they, they, they're going to keep buying it. And, yeah. um, you know, 
we're going to see a reprint probably of a book from 50 years ago with a Let It Be project that's that's uh, com- that's coming out now. And uh, I mean, how many times has the Bible been reprinted? <laughs> how many versions <laughs> of that exist? So, you know, there's definitely a lot to collect here. But just before we go into your personal history, let's just quickly talk about the current state of Beatle books, because we are moving mm. ever close to the McCartney lyric autobiography book. That's kind of the big white whale at the moment. But have there ever have there been any smaller releases at the moment that you thought would be worth pointing out? Yes. Uh, so there's a book, there's two that are coming out in the next kind of month or so, depending on when this comes out. So uh, Daniel Rachel, who is an acclaimed English author who has written a really, really good book called Don't Look Back in Anger about Britpop and Cool Britannia in the 90s, or history. Also wrote a book about Red Wedge, which was the um, political musical movement of the mid-80s to try and get rid of the Thatcher government. He, he's, he's written a book called Some Forgotten Dream, which is basically where he, he, he recreates a 1971 Beatles album. Oh, okay. Uh, Interesting. So it, it have it's a double album, four sides: a, a John side, a Paul side, a George side, a Ringo side, <laughs> and then and then he selects it, the first part of the book is about is about the breakup, uh, and then the rest of the the, the remaining kind of two thirds of it is is yeah how he would pick an album out of the existing solo material, and another book which is called What They Heard by a guy called Luke Meddings, which is out only a small book in start September. Uh, and it's about the Beatles, the Beach Boys, and Dylan, and how they responded to each other, and how the music kind of they created their own individual music by listening to other, uh, listening to the respective music of the others. Uh, so that, and that's also quite a personal kind of novella as well. It's quite a he talks about his own life and it quite a lot. So there two that are coming out in the next month or so that uh, I've been blessed with preview copies of. Uh, both of which will be guests on my on my podcast, and uh, yeah, that they're they're both are definitely worth looking out for. Outside of that, um, it, shout out to, to our pal Ken Womack uh, and Jason Cooper for their book about um, George is All Things Must Pass and Eric Clapton's Layla uh, that came out when the All Things Must Pass box set came out. Uh, that's a, that's a really 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 interesting book, and would recommend that to anyone. Now, speaking of uh, press copies, I'm just at that point now of success whereby I'm actually being sent PDF, co- not not physical copies. Not physical, right, okay. Yeah, I'm being, I'm being sent PDFs of stuff. Uh, the very first one I had was Paul Sally's Little Wing, the Jimmy McCulloch oh, yeah. Massive shout out to Paul. He's been on my show a couple of times, I, I, I believe now. And yeah, I mean, just getting sent a copy of a whole book, like it was, it, it, it's just a nice feeling. It's like, oh, wow, this is this is someone's soul in a PDF document right right yeah. here. I'm grateful every time I get one, and I'm, I'll never take it for granted. And I know it's only a small thing, and I'm not quite, you know, I'm not a Love Island-level influencer yet, so I'm, <laughs> I'm not getting loads of, fr- like, you know, free booze or anything, but a copy of a Beatles book is fine by me. No, uh, if anyone wants to send me some Grey Goose or some Pringles, I don't know... Uh, I'll support all those brands. Blue Chew, uh, you know, Deliveroo, uh, Man- Manscape. Whoever I, I, wants to sponsor the show, you know, I'll I love sell the, out I love, immediately. 
I love that blue goose and Pringles were your staple foods. And oh no 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 no, no blue chew. They're uh, they oh, are right, they yeah. are a men's sexual health chewable. Uh, are they? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. They are Another not. A, they are not a tablet. They are a chewable for legal reasons. Uh, right. Other ones I've been sent recently. Uh, David, I'm going to hopefully pronounce it correctly. Stiberski or Stiberski has a book coming out called "Listening to What the Man Sang," which is oh, one, right. of those, one of those great titles. That is, that I love that. that you kind of it's it's about ten percent forced, but you appreciate it once it's got through to the other side. And he actually directly quotes my podcast in that book. Wow. So, <laughs> so you know, how am I not going to give this motherfucker a shout out? Um, <laughs> the, the direct quote is, it's for my love. He's talking about my love. And he says, as Sam Wilde says on Paul or Nothing, uh, um, uh, 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 it's not a silly love song. It's a dorky love song. And like, you know. <laughs> I'm like great line. It's a great. Yeah. It's very quotable, Sam. So you've done well, my friend. No, and then I had uh, Duncan Driver quote me on uh, Rodriguez's show as well. Uh, my um, what was it? Oh yeah, you know when Paul McCartney says, "I like the Beatles to four sides of a square," and then I said, "It's more of a rhombus." Uh, <laughs> and I, I'm I'm famous. I've got I've got my name in lights. Yeah. I, I really have. Uh, just another quick shout out. Uh, I've also been sent a copy of My Ticket to Ride, How I Ran Away to Meet the Beatles and Got Rock and Roll Band in Cleveland, which also sounds like a really interesting book as well. And it kind of brings me on to my next point, really. And I think you're the, probably the perfect person to answer this question. Uh, the phrase, will there ever be enough Beatle books? It's totally redundant by now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because um, if there was then we would have reached it by now. That's mm. the thing. And the key thing for the Beatles story, well, there are two things. Number one, the, the best thing about the Beatles story is that you can do a book, is that, is that every part of the Beatles story and solo story, for us, for a select proportion of the population, is interesting. So you could do a book about, I think I mentioned this to you before, you could do a book about press, the press-to-play sessions, right? Yeah. You could do what what a dramatic session that was where him and Padgham didn't get on. It was a real struggle to get the record made. It it flopped hideously when it came out. The the, the production wasn't right. The songs weren't that strong. Drama, right? Not like a, a Lewison level mighty tome, but you get a good <laughs> book out of that, right? You get a good book out of George's 1974 American tour that was crazy and strange and weird and not very successful. You can get a book about on a junior's farm or something. You can you can get a book out of so many elements of the Beatles story. There were like, or you know, things like the Beatles and Drugs book. You know, you could get a, something where you just focus, you hone in on something individual on their story as a group. How a how would that eyes. book not come out before? That's what I want to know. Yeah, that book yeah. is like that. That should have been out 1984, written by Jeffrey Giuliano, been a real salacious hit piece. And no, it's we're still in the 2020s and we're only just like, oh yeah, women and people of colour can also write books about the Beatles as there's well. There's that, there's that. And of course, the thing is, is looking at something like Rob Sheffield's book, which I'm sure you're familiar with, Jimmy and the Beatles, the Beatles story is like changing and evolving. We're all, you know, people of my age would approach it differently to someone that's 18, someone that's 70. So therefore... The music is so, you know, rich and entertaining and glorious that there's so many different ways that you can come you can come at it that 
it's I mean, obviously, yeah, the level of books per year will probably decline at some point. And whether I'll be doing the podcast when I'm 60, I've, I've no idea. But let's hope so. But yeah, it's an endless stream of just of, of interesting and fascinating angles to come at. And I, for one, am, am here for it. Will you still listen? Will you still subscribe <laughs> when I'm 64? Oh, boom, boom. That, that will be my theme tune, sung by you on the endless <laughs> echoey loop. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my. You know, it'll be better for the show if I don't riff on this and we, and we press on. Um, now, Joe, you are in a slightly awkward position because you are neither one of my really, really young guests, neither are you one of my really, really old guests. You are what I would call a normal person. And that means you're in an interesting position, and uh, more so than me, to see what the impact the internet has had on collecting. And I talk all the time about trawling for vinyl on eBay. But what about books? I, do you still pop into little mom and pops bookshops in Cambridge and Bath? Or is it all just through Mr. Jeff Bezos now? Well, it's more through Mr. eBay than Mr. Jeff Bezos. Yeah. But um, yeah, there is an element of that. So, so actually, I went uh, this week, actually, I went to a little record shop in Chelmsford, which is near-ish where I live, and I found a Beatles book there that was £5, which was called The Beatles and Country, which is oh, wicked. <laughs> just a nice little book about the influence country music had on the Beatles and Ringo and Paul's kind of country connections and stuff. Now, I probably would never have thought of that if I'd been scrolling through Amazon and eBay. Maybe I would have got there eventually. I don't know. So there is still gold in them hills when it comes to little bookshops like that. But in the main, because all of the information is in front of you, the internet is the way to go. But yeah, it's interesting. When I first started to collect books, when I was in my yeah early teens, 97, 98, the internet was not quite the thing that it is now. So I would literally go into, go to London for the day and then go to eight or nine different bookshops and see what they had. And I've still got quite a lot of those books that I bought. In fact, one of the books maybe that I'm showing today is from that, one of those traipses up to London town in the late 90s. Spoiler alert, Joe. God, sorry, Sam. Will you have a bit of professionalism on this show? Sorry, I've ruined it. I run a tight ship here. Thank you very much. Okay, Captain. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, you know what? Let, what opposite of books? What is an aspect of Beatles collecting that you have no interest in whatsoever? Even if you had a million pounds and it wouldn't affect the economy, there'd be no butterfly effect. You, <laughs> but you don't give a shit about it. Uh, probably clothing. Okay. I okay. can't be. I've got. <laughs> I've got two Paul McCartney t-shirts and one Beatles t-shirt. And yeah, hats. I don't. I'm without a hat. What What have you got there? Another hat. Did you Did you buy those, or were they freebies that you got sent? I haven't. Been, no, no. I oh, I bought these definitely. Okay. I definitely okay. bought these. Fair play to you in that case. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not branded, surely. This the shape. And, and then this is one of my dad's Formula One hats as well. That we're gonna. Miles a Benetton. It looks like was that a Benetton? Uh, this is uh, mile, mile seven. Mile seven. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There we go. Right. There Carry on. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, T-shirts, clothes, you know, bags, all that kind of stuff. Not for me. But I do know some people that have a, a Paul McCartney T-shirt for every album. You know, and in fact, some fellow podcasters that you often will see on the old video chat, they'll don a Back to the Egg T-shirt or something like that, which is not not my bag. 
Um, but hey, fair play to them. A bit like I used to work with someone and he was really into music. And you know when you go to a festival and you get given the wristband so you can Oh no, in. not one of these assholes who keeps the wristband keeps it on. Oh, I hate them so much. I, I wanted to just chop his arm off. It was like, I thought, what are you doing? What? Are you? But it's all about that authenticity. Working in HMV was a bit like that. It was a bit kind of, hey man, I'm really into, into music. Uh, I've no, I haven't seen him for about eight or nine years, so I've no idea if he's still got the wristbands on. But I hope for his sake, he hasn't. And finally, we have the latest episode of the show, episode 30, which was with at Beat Bailey from Instagram. He has a nice Instagram page. He does a lot of Beatles stuff, a lot of collecting, a lot of posting. I just love his content. He was also a joy to speak with. And even though he told me so many tales about the best record shops and locales in the UK ever, 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 it was the story that he told me at the end of the episode that stuck with me the most. Let's close out the episode, folks. Um, I, I see you've got two copies of Paul McCartney, the lyrics behind you. There's obviously the orange one. Um, the, so the, I, got the, um, I got the normal one on release day, um, the UK version. And then you got a Yankee um, one. And um, then um, a few months, well, I think it was about, a, when would it have been? January, probably. So a couple of months after. Mm. Um, the American version came up on eBay for, for a good price. And it was in this country. So okay. I didn't have to worry about shipping and stuff like that. Um, and I, I, could, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> and that one's, uh, that one's still in the shrink wrap. So... Uh, I remember when uh, Tom Hunyadi was doing a competition to win a, 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 a copy... And he went, oh, by the way, this is only for American viewers. And I was like, oh, fuck two legs. <laughs> fuck the show. <laughs> I'm going to go listen to some Take It Away more, you know. Yeah. Oh, my God. But that um, uh, the uh, the signed copies of the lyrics, they're still ridiculously expensive. Yeah. They, uh, I, uh, I'm kicking my, well, I am kicking Don't myself. do it. I, ref- I, I refuse to let you buy one. You've got to, you've no, got no, to put no. a down payment on a house. I could have... <laughs> I do. My girlfriend will be. She'll be like, "Go, Sam." Yeah. <laughs> um, no, my. Um, I I saw it when they first got announced, mm. and I had one in my basket from Waterstones. For what was it? Like? I think it was like twelve hundred pounds, and I was like, "I can't do it." <laughs> wipe my savings. I can't she, buy one. She's gonna leave me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Is it worth it?" No, no, it's not, and. Um, so I didn't buy it. And then obviously the week after they were going for like 10 grand. It's... No, but did they sell for 10 grand though? That's... I don't know. There was a lot. There was a lot at the time and then they just sort of disappeared. So they either sold or, hmm. I don't know. I, I know I saw, I saw a couple on bidding and they were getting, they were getting up there. No, um, again, a lot, a lot of that might be best offers and then they just get take, taken offline. Yeah. Uh, I was at a Yu-Gi-Oh tournament, another Yu-Gi-Oh anecdote. I put, uh, you get little packs for entering. I pulled a card worth like 97 quid. Someone went, okay. I'll, offer you, I'll give you 60 pounds cash right now. And, you know, or do I want to go home, type it into eBay, put yeah. it in the envelope, take it to the post. No, I'll take the six, <laughs> 60, 60 quid right now. Wicked. Yeah. You know, a lot of them probably went for maybe five grand perhaps, but that's still... 500 percent profit <laughs> yeah oh yeah definitely it's quite funny you say that because i remember when i um when i was probably about 10 i used to collect um wwe wrestling cards 
Nice. And there was this there was this kid down my street, and he was a few years younger than me, but he collected the cards as well. And we used to do swaps, and uh, I had loads of swaps, um, just like in a folder. Mm. And he didn't have that many, but he got a signed, yeah, he got a signed card. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, I'll give you all my swaps for that card. <laughs> and uh, he gave me the card, and he had all my swaps. And his mum went absolutely mental at him. Really? Uh, but I had this card, and then a few years later, I sold it on eBay for £150. <gasps> but this was, uh, this is like 10 years ago, so I'm... <laughs> well, a friend of mine was at a Yu-Gi-Oh! tournament, and he did something similar. Well, I think he saw something similar where a very young kid, very inexperienced kid, probably didn't know the value of it, pulled a very expensive card, probably worth hundreds. And people were like, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll give you a tenner for it right now. And he said it was like that scene in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory where Charlie pulls the golden ticket and the shopkeeper yeah. goes, run home, Charlie, run home right away. And like this kid just scarpered with his very expensive car with his grown, wow. sweaty, 35-plus-year-old men chasing after him <laughs> physically. <laughs> oh, but like, you know, could you imagine running through Beetlefest with a mint copy of the but, uh, of the butcher cover oh. in, in, in your hands, holding yeah. it loosely for someone just to grab, you know? Crazy, isn't it? Yeah, fire yeah. hazard, you'd cause a panic. <laughs> right, come on. Right. Let's wrap this up. Man. Number five. My last, my last album, and then I've got a little bonus, but I'll be quick. Oh, okay. So, um, I've got loads of um, the 89-90 World Tour stuff, but um, I decided to show my limited collection of new World Tour stuff. Because um, I think nice. it's a little bit more interesting. Um, so, I've got my little uh, Earl's Court <laughs> Andy. Is uh, that's pretty cool. So Paul can just stay there for this bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love that. I love the framing. <laughs> oh my god! What okay. is this? What is this? So is this? this is uh, a limited edition Paul McCartney New World Tour collection box set. Which this was. Oh this was another. God. This was another eBay bargain. Like an absolute. It was that much of a steal. That um, when it arrived, wrapped up, I opened it and a note fell out from the guy who sold it saying, enjoy your bargain. <laughs> wow. So, um, inside. I'm fucking speechless. I'm never normally this speechless. <laughs> oh, the shirt. Oh. So, you've got a New World Tour shirt still in the, uh, in the wrapper. Yeah. Which is uh, pretty cool. Yeah. Or very cool. Um, try and get this out without ripping it. Do not rip it. Take, take your time. <laughs> so this is just the uh, the standard tour program, put in the, uh, in the paper bag. Which is uh, unopened. Very nice. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to open that. But... And then it's got. Oh Off wow! Unplugged and wings greatest. I mean, what I mean, a cool box set. Oh, at the, at the time, that, that MTV Unplugged one was fucking rare as well. Yeah. It's such a such a cool box set. And it also came with the um, the New World Tour pin badge. Oh, my God. Um, which that alone sells for quite a bit on eBay. It's uh, 
So to get it in the box set was, uh, was really nice. Um, oh, what a nice so, little tri- triumvirate of albums to put together. You got I the know, new it, album. Nice set. Yeah. Um, well, I, I hadn't seen or known of it until I saw it on eBay and uh, and ended up winning it for the opening bid, which is <laughs> which yeah, I didn't cause, expect. Because there's the, the Flowers in the Dirt one, but that was like a Japanese exclusive. Like you get Party Party on it and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I've, I've got the... Um, I think I've got the vinyl because there was the vinyl and the CD version of the Flowers in the Dirt one, wasn't there? Mm-hmm. Um, but there hasn't, but yeah. there hasn't been stuff like that since. I mean, maybe you know, I know Linda was a big part in making sure there was lots of merch, and yeah. you know, there wasn't a Flaming Pie tour, Linda wasn't around at that point, so a lot of the kind of ephemera merch just kind of vanished until things like yeah. the, the suitcase. Um, you know, I don't That's know of a chaos and creation pin, you know. No, <laughs> no, mm. which is a shame. Um, yeah, anything like that, just want as much per- merch as possible. But, yeah, um, but yeah, so that's that's that. Oh my god, it's just the cover, it's just so nice. It's, um, what's so my, my number is uh, 7,848. Oh, so there's quite uh, a few of them then. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure how many there are. I uh, I've tried to look, but I can't I can't find it out anywhere. Um, and then finally for my new world tour, you'll be able to see I've got a signed program. Can you see the signature? Probably I can see not. one just about there. Yeah, look at that. About there. Um, and... and it's got the. Uh, I didn't get the signature. This the tour was. Six years before I was born. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I was yeah, so it's got the, the, time, uh, yeah. the guest pass from Earl's Court. That's what. That's one of the main things what persuaded me to buy it, because obviously the person who the, had the, the, program, the signature wasn't the deciding factor. No, no, no. The signature was, but what persuaded <laughs> me that the signature was definitely real. Oh, okay. Um, the fact, that obviously, this person had been backstage at Earl's Court. They've got a guest pass. Mm. Um, the person who I bought it from, their father was um, was in the music industry. Mm. Was like some big producer. Um, can't remember his name. She did tell me, um, but he uh, he died, and she was selling off all his collection of stuff. And I uh, thankfully managed to get this program. You might see it better if I uh, turn. It oh, is there. I promise. Is it, is it is it on your Instagram page? That'll be a good plug to get. It is, to, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's, there is a better picture on my Instagram, but it's it's sort of it's signed in biro, so it's a bit deceiving, but it it is there. Um, yeah, so that that's that. So um, to get that, I was, and then finally my uh, finally finally, invite uh, <laughs> <by> Paul, <laughs> and then uh, yeah. Definitely, finally, my my little bonus um, item is my jacket, what I'm wearing. So this is my Paul McCartney jacket. It says McCartney on the back. Oh, and, um, I need that. I need when I, that. When I was in London in November, I went for the um, the talk at the South Bank Centre. Oh, you were there for the and, lyrics discussion? Yeah, yeah. So um, I was. that was my first time actually seeing Paul. Mm. So I was so excited for that. Um, got tickets for me and my girlfriend. 
um, she was working at Pinewood Studios at the time. So I was going down to London quite often to see her. And um, we just sort of were able to make, you know, a long weekend of that, which was great. Um, but while we were down there, we were doing, you know, we went to Abbey Road and, you know, showing her all the sights. And I'd, I'd already been on a walking tour, a Beatles walking tour a week before. So I knew roughly where the stuff was. And uh, obviously we had to have a little stroll down Cavendish Avenue and uh, <laughs> we're walking down. I was like, look, that's Paul's house. That's it there. And she's like, yeah, all right. Um, I feel like a stalker. Let's, uh, let's go. I don't, want, I don't want to stalk Paul. I was like, well, he's definitely going to be there because he's at the South Bank Centre tonight. He's, <laughs> he's there. <laughs> and she's like, come on. So we end up walking, walk to the end of his street. And um, I think she, had, she tied her shoelace or something. As she's doing that, I'm just looking around. I look over my shoulder and his gate's open. Oh, God. And then out walks this bloke wearing a cap. Or he walks out and puts a cap on and just walks down the street the, op- the opposite way. I said, Amy, that's Paul. That's Paul McCartney. She's like, no, in. Why would he just be walking, you know, out in the street? So of course he does. That's what, that's what he does. He, there's pictures of him doing that. And she's like, well, if you think it's him, go after him. I was like, what, really? <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs> so um, he was, I think he, he was like FaceTiming or he was on his phone or something. So he was walking quite slow. So I, was, I started walking and then I picked up the pace a little bit. I never ran. I just did a bit of a quick walk. Well, to make it clear for the, to the court. <laughs> I, did, I didn't run after him. Um, I did a bit of a quick walk and stayed behind to make sure that it was him. And uh, I, I was, a, you know, I was, a distance away, but I could tell it was him. Oh, then he my got, God. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is Paul McCartney. This is, and uh, at the end of the street, he walks into this park. And it's just like a little, um, it was a little park. And uh, he just, I'm walking behind him. And he, he then stands and reads one of the signs. There's like a sign about a tree. <laughs> and he's just stood there reading it. And I, I sort of walk. By this oh point, God. I'm, oh I'm still just in the back of him. I haven't seen him. So I walk around and I get at the side of him and it's definitely him. And I'm like, Paul. He just goes, yeah. You? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm a massive fan. I'm coming to see you at the South Bank Centre tonight. And uh, he's like, oh, right. oh, cool. You know, and I didn't know what to say. And he's just having a conversation with me. He's like, oh, so where, where are you from? Um and then he says, oh, I, can, I was wearing this jacket. Um, he's like, oh, I can see you're, you're a massive fan. And he points, he touched my jacket. Oh, my God. <laughs> ran his fingers over his uh, autograph. And we were just talking and um, I didn't know what to say. I mean, there's so many things I could have said. And I just didn't. <laughs> Where's the Cold Cuts album, Paul, please? Yeah. <laughs> but um, we're just talking. And then um, my girlfriend, who thought that I was following this random bloke, walks through this gate and sees me stood there talking to Paul McCartney. And I go, oh, this is, this is my partner, Amy. And he puts his hand out, shakes the hand and says, hello, partner. <laughs> he was just, he was so funny. He was, you know, it was, and I was like, oh, where's my handshake? <laughs> and then he turned and shook my hand. And, uh, and then he just says, oh yeah, we're, we're allowed to do that now. <laughs> you know, he's going on about, how after COVID we're now we're now allowed to shake hands. Yeah. Oh and uh, 
it was it was crazy and um the whole time I'm talking to him I don't know what to say but in the back of my mind it was I think this was literally two days after that article got released about him not signing autographs yeah and uh, he just wanted to have conversations with people and stuff I'm like oh no but in I, I haven't got it signed but in my backpack I did have McCartney three, <laughs> <laughs> and I said before we left, "Oh, I'll, I'll take just a CD, just in case we see him, and in case he'll sign something. I'll just take it in case." And um, obviously, in in my mind, it was this: "Oh, he's not going to sign it." It was just after this interview, this uh, article that got released, and I said, "Paul, would you mind um, would you mind having a picture with me?" I thought the picture would be the safer option than yeah. getting him to sign something after that. And he said no. But <laughs> oh. he was very he was very nice about it. He um he was like, No, um, you know, he's like, I don't do pictures, um, but this is a this is a nice moment between me and you. Oh. I was like, Yeah, you know what? That's uh that's nice, Paul. He uh I was just like, Yeah, no, no, thank you. No worries, thank you. <laughs> I just kept saying thank you. Um but yeah, he was just like, this is, a, this is a nice moment between me and you. And then he was like, it's good to meet you, Bailey. Um, I'll see you tonight. And that was it. And then it's crazy. That, and that was it. And then all day, I was like, I just met Paul McCartney. I met Paul McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, oh, fucking yeah. hell. Folks, I, so, we were not prepped. There was no pre-discussion of what we were going to talk about. This is all, I'm, a, I'm just a speechless. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so... It was a bit of a anti-climax because I was so looking forward to seeing him at the South Bank Centre. And then after meeting him and shaking his hands... It and didn't really live up to... ...being right there, I said, we don't really need to go to night now. <laughs> um, obviously, we did and it was great, but it was just like, I've met him. It was that, that was the one thing that, you know, it's that one of them bucket list things where you never think it's going to happen, but I'd love to meet Paul and... I did. I just, <laughs> I don't really have anything to show for it, apart from, obviously, my memories. Um, well, that's but, one hell of an item number six. <laughs> so that was my little, my little bonus item. You've got to go see him live now. If Oh, yeah. It's, um, yeah. I'm I mean, trying not to buy as many records. <laughs> so, just uh, in I'll case. Be yeah. No, uh, there's no announcement at the time of recording for Got Back to come to the UK, but it has to. It has it, to. It has, it, it has to at some point. And you know, you know what? If you see him and, and I see him on that tour, we'll do an episode on the podcast about it. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love that. Absolutely. Excellent. Right. There we are, everyone. That indeed was a whole lot of Macca in your attic. And if any of what you just heard sounds reasonably good to you then head over to youtube type in macca in your attic or paul or nothing and go and check out the rest of the back catalog not only are there 22 episodes that weren't included here but there's the rest of all the audio of the episodes that were included so you've got hours and hours and hours at least a couple of days worth of stuff to get through to sink your teeth into i hope you've enjoyed it i really enjoyed putting this episode together and listening through some of my old content Though I have to admit, I was much thinner in the earlier episodes, which is worrying me slightly. But yeah, anyway, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Paul or Nothing, folks. 
Thank you so much for indulging my macket in your attic preoccupations. Uh, I know that this was a bit of an advertisement of an episode, but, you know, it's all in the hustle, folks. I hope you can appreciate that. Next time, we're going to be doing Listen With Your Sam McCartney 2, which is an episode that I know I have looked forward to, and I know some of you will have as well. It's going to be a lot of fun. Anyway, take care. Thank you for listening. Peace and love, peace and love. No more autographs. Harry, Harry, Krishna. Play us out, Denny.